You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Here we go. All right, we are back on another Wisco Fanatics Wednesday. We're going to have a good show today. I know it. Uh, we got lots of stuff to talk about. We got fake, we got bucks, we got packers, we have brewers. Um I want to let everybody know, should be hopefully common knowledge to people that follow our show, but tomorrow is our next live and in-person episode at the Keel Parker Johns. Um, they are sponsoring our show, and we got a handful of these bad boys to give away yet. Uh, $25 gift certificates to Parker Johns. So if you're following our show, sharing our show, um, we want to know. So we can send you guys a Parker Johns gift certificate. We have a couple left to give away, and then... Uh, Hopefully, if our show goes well tomorrow, they'll decide to renew their sponsorship with us, and we can have Parker Johns as a sponsor for another year. But we want to thank them for hosting us tomorrow. So tomorrow's going to be a lot of fun, too. So, yes, um, But, Jake, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm ready to talk some basketball. Uh, I'm really excited about some of these linebacker prospects. I know there's some really interesting safeties, but I got I fell in love with a bunch of the linebacker prospects, especially on the inside. And Brewers, the bats are starting to come alive, man. I got some. I got some interesting stuff as far as the Brewers' offense is concerned. So, yes, sir. Um, we'll have definitely an interesting conversation today when it comes to the Brewers too. But let's start with the Bucks. Let's start with Game One. I got a lot of notes from this because I had a lot of takeaways. Not a lot of good things. Not a lot of you know. Not a lot of good things. It was really ugly. Um, it reminded me so much of the first game that we played back in January. And mm-hmm. I had to go back and look and really see how many similarities there were. And it was kind of freaky how many. It was, I, man. I had I had just six just from just from looking at the box score. I found six really easy comparisons that all were almost identical from game one to the first playoff game. The Bucks 34 made field goals in both games. Eight missed free throws in both games. In game one in the uh, regular season, they missed 25 threes. In game one in the playoffs, they missed 28 threes. And then you flip over to the Chicago side. In the first matchup in the regular season, 31 field goals. Game one of the playoffs, 31 field goals. Mm -hmm. Two missed free throws. Two missed free throws. Mm -hmm. Chicago, seven for 38 on threes back in January. Seven for 37 on threes on Sunday. That's scary. 
It's, they say it's, history it's repeats weird. itself. <laughs> and hey, both ways it worked out for the Bucks for a win. Ugly wins are still wins. That's what championship teams do. Mm-hmm. Is you win whatever it takes. Um, even if it takes twenty one turnovers, which was disgusting. Oh god, yeah. I I really wanted to to hit that point. They only had eleven turnovers. As sloppy as this game was, right? I feel like the Bulls took care of the ball pretty well. They just took bad shots at, at some yeah. points, in my opinion. But the Bucks to have twenty one turnovers when we were at home and we're the team with the championship defending the title, it's like all of that to me just seems like that shouldn't have happened. And, you know, with those turnovers, the Bulls actually shot 12 more shots. So if they could find a way to make some shots, we could have been down 0-1 real easily. Yeah, and it's – so I want to say with that is George Hill didn't play in this game. He had an abdominal issue. Mm-hmm. So that could be part of it, but mm-hmm. that's not all of it. So it, it's, it gets back into those times when we were missing Drew Holiday and George Hill – and other guys are being forced to bring the ball up the court at times. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's Chris Middleton every time. Every time it happens when we're out without our point guard, and then it's Chris Middleton's the one that ends up bringing the ball up the floor. Yep. And I will say, I don't think some of his turnovers were his fault because he had some plays where he made good passes and guys just couldn't hold on to him. Mm-hmm. Like, I know Brooklyn had a couple where, like, like one went right onto his hand and then it, like, kind of bounced off his hip. Like, it is what it is, but... Like I said, the Bucks won. So let's let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about this game one matchup. Well, they got off to a really massive start. Uh, they came out with really great energy for a team that had eight days off, which was really really shocking to me. Um, I was watching, you know, obviously watching the game, and I was just like, wow, I did not expect them to get off to this fast of a start. They were shooting well, going to the rim, everything was mm-hmm. working. And before we continue and get to the end, I want to say foul trouble was the. Literally the only reason that Giannis did not destroy. I don't want to talk with the refs because it's going to get really annoying. I thought they were yeah. v- very inconsistent on both sides. I'm not just saying for the Bucs. Like, there were some weak foul calls on the Bulls, too, I'll be honest. Like, a couple moving screens. I'm like... Dude, there was just way too many whistles, period. There, there was. And it felt like there was no flow in the game. So right. the Bucs and the Bulls are both shooting like like shit, quite frankly. They're, they're, the the Bucs are turning the ball over. And then you add 5,000 whistles. It's like that was a tough basketball game to watch, kind of. Yep. You know, it felt sluggish and slow. And you know, when it's we get to our head. yeah, when we get to our game two stuff, I'm expecting a lot of different rhythm in this yep. this next game. But you know, I knew their legs were gonna weren't gonna go out. Like I, okay. I figured that's why I said they were gonna struggle. I was like, their legs are just gonna give out in the middle of the game because you know they the NBA conditioning is different than every other one. You know, it's kind of like cross country away, but you got to deal with physicality and jumping, mm-hmm. and you know it's. It's tough. Changing um, speeds and directions. Yeah, and, and cutting and you know, like I said, you had that physical contact with that with all that conditioning, it's like that's that's tough to deal with, you know. All right. So Giannis and Brooke Lopez were controlling this game right from the tip. The first quarter they combined for twenty points on eight of eleven shooting. The Bucks were off to a nine oh start, got up to a sixteen point lead at one point. Mm-hmm. Now this is this is probably going to continue, but the Bulls right away, as soon as Giannis touched the ball, instant double team. Yep. This is probably going to happen. One of my keys is going to be for games two, three, and four is going to be ball movement. And this yep. isn't just looking to move the ball from you know, Giannis at the post to Chris just so they break the double team and then go back to Giannis. Yep. It's going to be go from Giannis to Chris to Drew to Pat to Bobby in the corner for a wide open three. It's gonna, That ball is going to need to be like snap moving 
that's yeah. what's going to kill that double team. And, you know, if if the Bucks can keep that ball moving, it's going to create a lot of open shots for them, which will hopefully raise the Bucks' field goal percentage. Getting deep into the shot clock and then shooting contested jump shots, which is unfortunately something that Chris Middleton doesn't do great because then he, he feels rushed and he has to shoot a shot as mm-hmm. opposed to getting his shot. That's what I think contributes to a lot of his poor field goal shooting games. Because when he feels like he's getting into positions where he has to shoot the ball and not getting into positions where he's getting to what he wants to get. Okay. So the other thing I want to say is on the flip side of the ball, I am all aboard letting Nikola Vucevic try to beat us with jump shots. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're taking the ball out of DeRozan and Levine's hand. Like, Brooke Lopez continue to give him a foot of space because he actually got a couple offensive rebounds. He was doing well in the paint. If he wants to stay out on the three-point line, leave him there. Um, I want to give Grayson Allen some credit in the first quarter. Um, the Bulls were were rotating the ball around quickly. Grayson Allen rotated out to the shooter and actually got a hand on a, on a three-point shot and got a block. So I want to give Grayson Allen some credit because defending the three is something that we, we talked about, that that's going to be something in the playoffs where the intensity is going to increase because mm-hmm. they're going to – it's going to be 150% effort every game here on out. Yep. So I wanted to point out Grayson Allen did that. Um, second quarter is where it starts to get annoying. The Bucks did jump out to a big lead, and the Bulls just basically chipped away at it the entire game. But DeRozan in the second quarter just flopping around everywhere on both ends of the court. It's like DeRozan, DeRozan is a very, very good player. Mm-hmm. He's a really good player. He's probably the best mid-range shooter in the NBA. Like, you don't have to do that shit. That's what bothers me about it. Like, you don't have to do that. Like, go get your bucket. James mm-hmm. Harden is the same way. It's like, dude, you don't have to do that shit. You don't have to. I agree. You are a skilled enough player to score basically whenever you want. Get whatever shot you want. You don't have to do that flopping garbage. It's just garbage. I agree. I agree. It makes it, and like I said, this game was already tough to watch. And then you add all this flopping stuff in there. It's like, oh, oh God, God, I, God, I hate dude. it so much. Like Kyle Lowry is the same way. It's like, dude, you are a skilled shooter and you're a good passer. Like you don't have to do that. Bro, it's he annoying. did that like, yesterday and him and Hunter got into it a little bit. Yeah. And Trey Young is the same way. Like Trey Young can do pretty much whatever he wants with the basketball, but he's looking to get fouls all the time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's annoying. Um, I do want to say for the the seven turnovers that Middleton did have in the second quarter, he had a very nice pass. So like, if if this is the center of the court, Middleton's like over here a little bit, and he threw an over the head bounce pass across the court to Javon Carter in the corner for a three. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I see you. Like that was a really nice pass. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, Got to make your free throws. This is I said it a thousand times. I'm going to say it a thousand more. I'm sure. Uh, Bulls yeah. going a 7-0 run at one point during the second quarter. Cut the lead to five. Um, Giannis comes back in after he missed a couple free throws. Um, I think Bobby Portis missed one in the second quarter as well. Giannis instantly comes in, gets the ball in the post, turns, dribbles away from the double team, fades baseline, and cashes like an 18-foot jump shot. You look like Hakeem Olajuwon. Hey, dude, yeah, he did. Hakeem Atatokounmpo. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with that, 
Giannis had a double double at halftime already. He had 16 and 11 at halftime, including he was about to have 50 and 20, the, bro. Off the, Dead off ass. The backboard to himself, <laughs> oh. doing everything he wants. That's um, up on our play of the week, by the way. If you go was, check our page, like Cole, our Cole plays of the week. Cole that and Josh Hader's hundredth save, which we'll talk about. But um, so we get to the second half. Did you have anything that stuck out to you from the second half specifically? Um. I mean, really, Brooke Lopez carried us in the second half, and I see Scott's comment about Brooke won us the game. Brooke did a very good job holding off the Bulls, in my opinion, mm-hmm. but we cannot just ignore Giannis 27-16-5. and 16 and five. I know that we're used to that, but 27-16-5 is still a crazy good game for, for anybody. For a guy that did not score in the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah I mean... He did that 27 and three quarters. Uh... It, uh, you know, if you, you take away the foul calls, man, I didn't know what to, where to start with that. If you take away the foul calls, Giannis was going to drop 40. That's just how I feel. I I think he would have had at least 35 and 20. Yeah, he was about to go crazy. What's up, James? Uh, James, great game by the Celtics, I just want to say. Um, I could not believe that they held him off. When I saw them go up 15, I left my house, and I came back, and I was like, what the hell, man? Kyrie started going crazy, and that was crazy. Um, but back to the Bucks. Uh yeah, uh the second half was Brooke Lopez man those those and ones that he got oh my gosh I was like there's no way dude this guy's just going crazy you know he's our fourth best player on the floor and he could dominate in the post and from the outside that is crazy lucky yep so (laughs) Brooke Lopez I mean I'll I'll get to him I'm gonna talk about the third quarter for a little bit Scott already mentioned it um. Third quarter, so this is a this is a scheme thing. This is a, a knowing your personnel thing. Is that you can go under screens on Demar Derozan, but you cannot go under screens on Zach Levine. Yep. You got to know who you're guarding and when you're guarding them. Demar Derozan, if he shoots a three, fine. If Zach Levine shoots a three, you're in trouble. Zach Levine is a much 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 better free three point shooter than Demar Derozan. And the thing about the defending both of them, you have to go over and under screens. As long as you cut off driving lanes for both of them, mm-hmm. I don't think either of them are very skilled passers. I mean, I know Levine right. struggles with turnovers on passes. Mm-hmm. So if you cut off the driving lane and you go over that screen on Levine with the physicality that they allow in the playoffs, he's yep. going to struggle. He, I expect Levine to have back-to-back games like this. I don't expect DeRozan to. DeRozan will figure it out. He's been in the playoffs. He understands the bumping and the footwork. And He's not been I think, great in the playoffs. So no, he I hasn't. Were, if I were Chicago, that would concern me. Especially be, after game one, but... To be fair, you ran into LeBron a couple times in, in his prime, so that's not very fair. <laughs> LeBron I mean, he ran crazy. into the Bucks. Me and you went to a, like one of the last playoff games in yep. the Bradley Center. I remember that. We won that game. We were like, Bucks in six! Yeah, Bucks right? in six! Um, <laughs> as far as switching is concerned, it depends on, it depends on who it is. Um, it depends on who it is. So if you have, say, Drew Holiday and Wesley Matthews, like yes, you can switch that. I don't. I don't want to see a guy like Bobby Portis or Brooke Lopez switched onto Zach Levine. True. So Bobby, um, Bobby I don't. I just don't want in it spurts. To. Not Brooke. I do not want to see Brooke. Bobby, I I feel like he's he would be easier to get into than Ball easy Powell. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, James, I know Marcus Smart. One defensive player of the year. I know he came on really hot at the end of the year. I think that's what won it for him was that like his last 
I don't know, month and a half or so is what won it for him. But um, hey, I'm okay with it if the Nets if the Nets lose to the Celtics, it would just be funny for me. Me too. I would laugh my ass off. <laughs> I'd be like, "That's the team we're supposed to worry about. We they can't even beat the Celtics, right?" The bu- the Bucks will beat the Celtics in five or six games. That's how I, I would, feel. I would probably, I'd probably six. say six, just because like Tatum will go for fifty in one of those games. Tatum but, is a monster. All right, so back to the Bucks. Um, I do want to give. So I did see somebody say this that Chris Middleton doesn't play defense, and so I actually went and looked it up. Chris Middleton against Alex Caruso, Zach Levine, and DeMar DeRozan, the three players that he spent the most time guarding, only gave up 12 points to those three. Yeah. And he drew a charge on Zach Levine in the third quarter, something that he really doesn't ever do. Yeah, true. Which broke up a fast break, actually. Um, So the the Middleton doesn't play defense thing, it's like it's – that charge he took was beautiful. False. That it charge was. he took was beautiful. That was beautiful footwork, beautiful anticipation. Yep. I, I don't think – I think Chris is that guy, kind of like, like Giannis in, in some ways, where he doesn't get enough credit when he makes really good plays because we expect him to make good plays. Right. And then when he makes bad plays or he has a bad game, then it's over the top with mm-hmm. the criticism. That's how I feel. I, I'm going to make another comparison when we talk about the Brewers later, but we'll get to that. Um, so Bucks ball movement in the third quarter, almost non-existent. Um, the Bulls went on an 8-0 run. Bucks got down to five, got down by five points at one point. Um, Mm -hmm. turnovers, like every possession following at the timeout after the Bucks went down five, they went into the paint every single time for the rest of the quarter, except for the very last shot. So Bucks... Go into the paint every single possession after Budenholzer calls the timeout. So you know that's Budenholzer in, in the timeout saying, hey, we need to go get back in the paint because they can't stop us. Mm-hmm. And they did it, and the Bucks went on a 10-2 run to end the third quarter. Shocker. It's almost like we said that. <laughs> it's almost like there was a 16-point disparity on points in the paint between the Bucks and the Bulls in the regular season matchups. Ugh. I don't know who ba- said basketball that, but... is really not that hard to figure out, man. Either you're going to score inside or you're going to get open looks. Look, look at the Mavs and the Jazz, right? They they figured out the mismatch. The mismatch was Rudy Gobert is not coming out on three-point shooters. They put what, Max Kluber in the corner, I Max believe is his Kluber, name. Yep. They put him in the corner. What happens? He shot he seven. Like 24 or something like that? Dude, seven of his eight threes were considered wide-open shots. They had they they like tied an NBA record I believe or or a team record with the most percentage of open three point shots in one playoff game. So and people complain about the Bucks three point defense. Exactly. So it, for their matchup, it spread the floor, make Gobert, you know, defend on the perimeter. For us, let's get inside. We yep. could literally beat them up. They are too yep. small, and I don't care if Vucevic is tall. He's small mentality wise. Dude, Vucevic and Thompson are both like big stocky centers, but neither of them are overly athletic. And Giannis is still stronger than them. Yeah. Nobody stops Giannis. Let's just be honest. The <laughs> guy like is I just... said, we we've been talking about it the last two episodes with Giannis and Brooke working their post game together. It's beautiful, man. And Brooke has great under Brooke is so underrated, dude, it's unbelievable. He has great touchdown low. He could do a little floater. He can do a little turnaround. He shoots threes. Got that he jump can, hook. 
he he dunks on people not still i mean dude he almost threw one down he got followed but he almost threw one. i down. know man i'm so excited for the game tonight oh this is gonna be jacked up <laughs> i know it's gonna be like two hours after we finish the show i yet, know dude. dude it's such bullshit I've, I'm, I've been trying to like not think about it because i'm like dude it's such right? a long ways away <laughs> right like everybody's gonna be in bed already yeah I, that's great for me i gotta watch by myself awesome <laughs> all right so we get to the fourth quarter fourth quarter i got a little frustrated with bobby at the beginning of the fourth quarter just because the end of the third quarter the bucks were paint 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 touch paint touch and the, the bobby portis comes in and the first thing he does is two possessions in a row as he shoots threes oh bobby but next possession he went down he got in the paint got a bucket <laughs> and a foul um so I was happy with that. And then in the fourth quarter, it became the whistle and turnover show, which was annoying. Um, and and then the fourth quarter was when Brooke Lopez made his presence known. Um, so from a stretch from 434 until um, 124, so just a little over uh, three minutes, Brooke Lopez scored seven points. So Brooke Lopez was our, I would say, our number two option in this game. He was our closer almost. Um, the, the, the first quarter and the fourth quarter were the Brook quarters. Um, Drew Holiday scored nine of his 15 in the fourth quarter, uh, mm-hmm. including some free throws. And then I got to say, Wesley Matthews has earned his place in the starting lineup. Easily. If you can't see it by now, then that, I don't know. That last possession defense against DeMar DeRozan with like 15 seconds left, and DeMar caught that inbound, and he took took a dribble – and a jump shot, and Wesley Matthews was like as close to his jersey as he could be without physically touching him with his hands straight up. That was textbook flawless defense. That's that's a veteran thing. That's Wesley Matthews. That's what he brings to the team. Um, so credit to Budenholzer for for sticking Wesley Matthews in the starting lineup to improve the yeah. defense and to take some pressure off of Drew and Chris when it comes to defending guys. And you know because that's. That's Drew and Chris that don't have to worry about guarding DeRozan to start the game off. Mm-hmm. Um, so credit to Budenholzer for putting Wesley Matthews into the starting lineup. Scott, if you ever wanted an example of that, just watch the Bucks last season. Every time that they needed a freaking play on defense, they made the freaking play. The block by Giannis on Aiton, man. And uh, my favorite all-time play that I've probably watched 10 million times now on, fa- on YouTube is the Drew Steele to Giannis Lob. That is that still gives me goosebumps. I still love that play. It's the best play ever. Defense definitely wins championships. And one through five, I am as confident to stack the Bucks up against any team that's left in the playoffs. And I feel like we are either the best or second best. The Celtics are very good, I will say, on, on defense. They match yeah. they match up very well with a lot of people with length and, and mobility. I, I would be more concerned with the Celtics if Robert Williams was healthy. Because yep. he's that rim protector. I mean, he's um, not Daniel Tice honest, doesn't. But... Yeah, Daniel Tice doesn't scare me as much. Yeah. So, you know, and it, and it happens. You know, injuries happen. It's part of the game. And all of the if this and this player was healthy, this and this wouldn't have happened. And it's it's just a cop out, honestly. Like you can only play who you play. And last year, last year during the NBA playoffs is where Jake and I had two of our catchphrases come about. One is the best availability. Best ability is availability, and the yep. other one was Jake's is health is a skill. I really believe it is, because your body is your game, right? So, 
I I know a lot of people don't like LeBron, but he spends and he's had injuries now. But remember, he's almost forty years old. He spends a million dollars a year. And when that came out, Russell Wilson started spending more money on his body, and you know other athletes just followed suit. So yep. you taking care of your body, that is your paycheck at the yep. end of the day. Now there's nagging injuries and there's there's exceptions to that rule, right. but you know, yeah, Harden. Oh God, he is a clown. I hope we play the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals. Oh my it's God, it's not gonna happen. They're not making it past Miami. Playoff Harden is almost as bad as playoff DeRozan. It's pretty close, dude. That is actually when if when that happens, when we get to the next round, we should we should talk about that series too because that's interesting. Jimmy Butler against Harden is going to be awesome TV to watch. I will say, they both like to talk. I almost might pick Jimmy in that, dude. But after last night, I don't know why he had forty five. <laughs> he went crazy. And Jimmy plays much better defense than James Harden does. And Butler is a freaking dog. He has He's that a dog. mindset. That was the exact next. He thing don't back down from nobody. And they're gonna have PJ Tucker talking shit to him. Oh hell no! Harden's definitely folding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't expect them to make it past Miami. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good example. I mean, that's a perfect uh, perfect example, Scott, is that we lost Giannis for two games last year. Yep. We beat the Hawks twice in a row. Once and in their he, house. And they um, they wanted Giannis to wear a special brace during the finals, and he said no. Yeah, he said, nah. And then he, he said, just went out there. Uh, that's what he said. I was like, what? They, yeah, they designed a custom brace for Giannis to wear on his knee, and he said no. That guy is he is the definition of a freaking freak, dude. Seriously. He is, he is a, a freak, freak. Man. It's crazy when a nickname actually it describes your mentality, right? man. Because he <laughs> that one is spot on. <laughs> so the Greek freak in this one, twenty seven points, sixteen rebounds. Brooke Lopez, eighteen, very helpful points, five rebounds. Drew Holiday, fifteen points, six assists, six rebounds, two steals. Middleton did only have eleven points, but um, five rebounds and six assists, so stayed stayed active in the game. Yep. Um, 15 for 23 on free throws. And, yeah, that's terrible. Oh, God, it sucks. And then 21 turnovers. I have it circled, man. I wrote it in red pen even. I have two <laughs> exclamation marks after it and a hole in my notebook from where I stabbed it with my pen. Yeah, that's <laughs> that. That's ridiculous. You need to cut that in half tonight. Yeah, they do. I, I mean, I'm sure they joking. will because they'll make shots tonight. They're going to make shots tonight, dude. So I get to my fundamental failures. Points off turnovers. Off of the 21 turnovers they committed, Chicago scored 15 points. The Bucks actually gave up 16 offensive rebounds in this game, which doesn't particularly make me happy either, considering they're a team that we should control in the paint. Um. 13 second chance points for the Bulls, and then the eight missed free throws adds up to 36 points in the fundamental failure category for me. So those are, you know, those are things where you're you're spotting a team points by not doing what you're supposed to do, making mm-hmm. free throws, boxing out, and not turning the ball over. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at those things, I don't know, do you have anything else that you want to say about the game one? No, man, I just think the turnovers will go down if you shoot better because some of those turnovers, and we've talked about this all year, comes from over-dribbling. And, you know, sometimes when you over-dribble or shots aren't going down, you start to panic. And I think that, you know, 
that's what happened. The Bulls went on a run. They punched us in the mouth. That's we punched them. And that, that's just all I think. Nothing too crazy here. Um, no, nah, game two is going to be a lot better. A lot, a lot right. smoother. So that being said, what are you what are you looking for for game two? Knowing knowing what you know that happened in game one, what are you looking at for game two? Looking forward to tonight. Well, first of all, I don't know if everybody saw, but Giannis hit 15 straight three pointers at practice. Um, that might sound, you know, funny to brag about practice, but when we're talking about a guy that literally does everything except shoot threes, and I was making 15 in a row, and they were swishes. He's not touching net or, or, or rim on this. It's straight net, and that that form is getting so much better. What I'm looking His for release is release is getting quicker too. Actually, is what I know. It is. It is. Um, it's not as herky jerky. Um, I'm right. looking for Chris and Drew to just make shots, plain Both and back. simple. Um, mm-hmm. Be be aggressive. Uh, we've talked about this before. You know, the last time Chris had kind of an off game, we said I like when Chris is aggressive in the first quarter. When he yeah. looks to score, we can get him going early. You know, I I love that he is a willing passer. That's something that I always look for in a player. But I need you to go crazy. Go get me thirty, Chris. And he's fully capable of that. If Chris oh, drops yeah. thirty, we are smashing the Bulls because then Giannis is having thirty. Drew Holiday's going to have twenty some, and we already and know what Brooke Lopez best. can do. <laughs> yeah, and, and we know Brooke can score on Vucevic whenever he wants. So we just need Chris to get going a little bit. Hopefully, get some some rhythm, some some confidence. I think the legs will be a little bit more consistent mm-hmm. tonight. They'll be better. They'll be back. Knock off some rust. You know, I think both teams will shoot better. I just think the Bucks because they're at home will be that much better, in my opinion. James, to answer your question, we did last week when we did our playoff preview um, for the Bucks and the Bulls. Um, Jake and I both picked the Bucks in four. We did. James, you're in the chat I'm in, bro. I made a bet, Bucks in four, man. <laughs> <laughs> With Griff, man. So, so, for me, looking at game two, the three the three keys that I'm really looking at are the turnovers, cutting them in half. Tim's getting ahead of me in the comments. Is bench help? Um, so Pat Connaughton is part of that. Bobby Portis did have 12 points, 10 rebounds, so that did help. Um, I do think he was 3 for 8 on field goals, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, 3 for 8, 2 for 5 from on the arc. Yeah, so, you know, just some better some better contribution from the bench. Um, <laughs> Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, Bobby Portis, and or George Hill if he plays tonight. Um Looking at the bench, all four of the guys that came in off the bench all finished with a negative plus minus. They did. So I'm looking for some more bench help. And then the last thing I kind of touched on it already is ball movement. So if we're going to look for Giannis in the post, because that's what the Bucks should do, they should be looking to get the ball in the paint. They should be trying to get a paint touch every single possession, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Even when Giannis is out, if Brooke Lopez is in, you go to him in the paint. If Bobby Portis is in, you go to him in the paint. If none of those three are on the court for some reason and we end up in this weird small ball lineup situation, why don't you put Drew Holiday in the paint? The Bulls do not have a physical enough guard to hold on to him in the paint. You think Kobe White stopping him? You think Kobe White stopping him? No. Or DeMar DeRozan or Io Dosunmu, who's actually a good defender, but he's this big. Dude, the lights were very, very bright for him. They were very bright for Dosunmu in game one. Kobe White nervous. had a weird good game. I still think he's overrated, but he wasted his that. good game in a loss. Now they're screwed. <laughs> <All right. laughs> now he has to have three bad games in a row. That's just how his career goes. 
<laughs> that's valid. But like I said, there's nobody that's going to stop Drew in the paint that's guarding him no. on the perimeter. That's why he was my X Factor. That's, yeah, that's no, nobody's stopping him. If they would have had Lonzo Ball, I'd have been like, that's an interesting matchup because Ball's yeah. actually he's bigger than him, he's taller than him. He, I don't think he's stronger than him, but you know, just right. using his length, he could bother him. Yep. So that would have been a very interesting matchup. Yeah. So, like I said, ball movement, getting paint touches. When the ball goes into the paint, if it's Giannis or you know whoever it is, if they're gonna try to send double teams or play like a little bit of extra help defense, you kick that ball out and you pass, 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 and find the open man. Brook Lopez actually did a really good job when he got a ball in the corner of pump faking, and Vucevic went for it. He got right to the middle of the lane. Vucevic tried to recover. He bumped him, and Brook Lopez got an and one out of it. Mm-hmm. So just move the ball, get your shots, and get in the paint. You know, I'm going off Scott's comments here, but I actually believe that this is just from my eyes, I guess, that Middleton gets going when he runs that pick and roll with Giannis and he shoots off of that. When when he's passing it all the time, that's when I'm like, oh, boy, Chris might have an off night because he's not looking to score. I don't, right. I'm not telling him to shoot 10 out of 10 times. Right. You can look to pass, make the right play, but when he gets going like that and then we let him do his ISO stuff because he's already got his touch, that is when Chris Middleton has Chris Middleton games. Right. Because like I like, and this that kind of t- that kind of goes in with what I say. So like what I'm saying with Chris Middleton, where he gets into these games where he has his poor field goal shooting, yeah. is when he feels like he has to take shots. <laughs> if he's aggressive early and he gets his shot that he wants, that's when he really starts to. It seems like he builds confidence off that. It feels like he heats up, as opposed to getting into where he's like been passing a lot, passing a lot, trying to get other yeah, people yeah. their shots. Then it starts to get into a point where he's like, like shoot, I'm the second leading scorer on this team. I got to take some shots. That's that's what it feels like. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know Chris Milton personally to know if that's how he thinks, but that's what it feels like when I'm watching the games. So if you go to the comments, you can watch Scott talk himself into the Bucks are going to sweep the Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "Wait, we got to do this, this, and this, and then they're just gonna sweep them." <laughs> <laughs> You're the man, Scott. Uh, hey, I'm here for um, it. You have a you have a score prediction. Give me a score I prediction. Do. Off the so, top of your head. You, you, we were talking about this the other day about how it reminded me of the first game, and I really think everybody in this series is going to shoot better tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I said I think game two feels like it's going to be one of those one thirty to one fifteen games. I remember you saying that, and I, I, that. What, did I what did I say? I said one one twenty because that's what I had written down to like one oh six. I believe I said one twenty one oh six. I believe we're back to our conversation to find it. <laughs> I believe I said 120-106. I have 120 written down here because I know that's just what I feel. That's the the Bucks are going to shoot better, but it's still the playoffs. 103 to 90. Oh my God, we're going to hold them to low 90. scoring games. Um, I do have to say the 86 points that they allowed to the Bulls was the lowest point total they allowed this entire season. That's impressive. That's Good time to do that. Playoff game to do it. Yeah. Good time to do that. All right. You got anything else you want to say about the Bucks and the Bulls? Bucks and four, baby. I know. I've been I've been refraining from using the Bucks and six hashtag because this series is not going to take six games. Also, Monday was the six year anniversary of Brandon Jennings or nine year anniversary. I'm sorry, nine year anniversary of Brandon Jennings saying Bucks and six versus the Heat. It's awesome. If you didn't know, a little tidbit for you. <laughs> That's good trivia. Yes, sir. Could have posted that, man. I should have. Damn it. Well, we still can. We can. All right, so we are going to switch sports. We're going to go from basketball to football. 
We are. Because we are now a week and a day away from the NFL draft. And we yes. are only one day away from our live draft show. So yeah. tomorrow, actually, well, Jake and I changed up our, our schedule a little bit. We changed up a way that we're going to do this. So instead of waiting until next week to do um, some defensive line and some um, safety targets, we switched it up. We're doing safeties today, linebackers today, and then we're going to do edge rushers tomorrow before we do our recap of all of our players that we've already discussed, wide receivers, tight ends, all the offensive line, and then we'll recap our linebackers and safeties that we do today, um, tomorrow before doing some live mock drafts. And it's going to be interesting because Jake and I, we each have 10 linebackers and 10 mm-hmm. safeties to talk about today. We're going to start with safeties. Mm-hmm. And do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? You start first. It's going to be the same player. It's going to be Kyle Hamilton. It is. Um, 6'4", 220. 6'4", as a safety, is just insane. Uh-huh. Um, he's got great instinct, long arms, plays downhill. Um, he's compared to Cam Chancellor is what I saw was his comparison. So um, <laughs> Kyle Ham- Hamilton is just as a safety. But um see we got Dan in here now. He always makes his presence known. Isaac's in here now. Everybody shows up. What's Everybody up, shows up for the Packers targets. Hopefully yes, you guys show up tomorrow. That'll be uh, entertaining. So, Jake, hit me with your number one. Well, you said it's the, the same player. Yep. So I'm just going to continue talking about what I think. He is the perfect combination of size, speed, and athleticism at the safety position. A 6'4 safety? That is ridiculous. 220, he flies around the field. He literally blankets tight ends because he's the same height as them. <laughs> he could be a box safety. He's not afraid to tackle. He's just the ultimate 5 to a player. There's no way in hell that Green Bay is going to get him, I just want to say. Yeah, he's going to be a top 10 pick, maybe he, top 5. I've heard that he might go to the Lions at number 2. Hmm. Yeah, if I heard rumors that if Hutchinson goes off the board first, that they're going to look in to drafting safety. James, no, 6'4 for a safety is is big. Most safeties are usually right around six feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Six four safety? How many six four safeties you know? We got is that Zion Williamson in here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, just the knife a little bit. Poor uh, Chelsea. And Booker just got ruled out for game three, I think, right? Game three and four. Oh, they are so fucked. Oh my god. If, <laughs> if they lose both those games, oh, <laughs> Yikes. Not good. Not good. All right. <laughs> Shut up, Tyler. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My number two, I have Daxton Hill from Michigan. Um, okay. he's, he's six feet, 191. He ran a four three eight forty, which is just ridiculous. Um, yeah. Um, he's really good in pursuit of the ball in the run and in the passing game. He's another guy that's not going to make it to the Packers. Um, he's probably going to be a top 12-ish pick. Um but you can use him in multiple areas. He's a versatile safety. You can line him up in the box, line him up in the slot, or have him as a deep drop back safety. So I have Daxton Hill, number two. He's a little lower on my list, actually. But my number two is Jaquan Brisker from Penn State. Uh, the yep, reason Packers I have. Fans should know plenty about him. Yeah, I actually have that in my notes. Um, the reason I have him number two is because he is a great combination of a run stuffer and a, a deep third safety. He, do, he does really good at both of them. Obviously, playing in the Big Ten, I've said it a million times during this, you have to be willing to thump in the Big Ten. The Big Ten is big boy country, right? Yep. And Brisker, you know, he just – he takes all of that. 
Um, he's super strong for a guy who's 6'1", 203 pounds. He could bench 360 pounds. Damn. At 200 pounds. That's almost two times his weight, man. That's insane. And, you know, he only had two interceptions last year, but one was the walk-off, you know, kind of the walk-off win versus the Badgers week one, which kind of mm-hmm. sucked. But Brisker has great range and, again, not afraid to mix it up inside. Yep, I have Brisker at number three, actually. Um, he is a guy that could fall around the Packers' picks. So yep. it wouldn't shock me if, if the Packers ended up with Jaquan Brisker, maybe at that 28 spot, because mm-hmm. um, I do believe that they're – I do really think that one of the three of Drake London, Jamison Williams, or Chris Olave is going to fall to 22 just because of what I've what I've done through studying all these positions. It's like there's a lot of guys that are going to go in, in the top of this draft. I'm telling you, man. Somebody's got to fall. I feel bad when I'm in comments now because now I really do know more than other people like doing this research. And it's like they're like, oh, all these receivers are going to be gone. All these linemen are going to be gone. I know. I'm like, I, that's I'm like what, dude. That's what I, I keep saying that too. It's like. Do you understand how many good players are on this draft? There's 21 picks before the Packers. Exactly, the first man. one. Like somebody's gonna fall. There, there's gonna be one, right? And literally well, every single time I post our things, when I've posted our wide receivers, our tight ends, and all of our offensive line, and then when we like we've been revealing guys that we want the most out of our groups based on where they're going, and you know what we like about them. First thing somebody says is, "We're not getting that player." He's not yep. going to fall to us every no time chance the, he ends up on the Packers. No pan, no chance the Packers draft him. It's like somebody's going to fall. Like Jake and I aren't going to make a hundred percent of draft picks. Correct. But Jake and I, we're, we do the research on this. Like for safeties, I have eight sources that I pulled from. I did four for safeties. I have, but. yeah, well, I include YouTube and NFL.com. That's what I, Oh, I do after okay. I write down the rest of them. Well, then I have five. Um, <laughs> so there you go. That's still, that's five sources to draw information from versus just doing mock drafts or looking at other people's mock drafts or just saying, oh, the Packers haven't drafted a first round wide receiver since Javon Walker, so they're not going to. <laughs> I'm on I, I see Chelsea's very realistic that she's going to unfollow us if we don't get him yeah. correct. Yeah. You know, Jake and I will get to a point where I don't know where we have to apply, but they do. Um, they do accuracy awards for outlets for mock mm-hmm. drafts. So, um, you know, Jake and I can get into that in the future and we'll see. And then we'll start really flaunting it. But we're, dude, we're really, we're going to put our minds together one day after we do this research and we're, we're going to enter a couple and we're going to fucking win. I know it. <laughs> I feel it, man. Um, too much goddamn work. I know, dude. I got, I got probably like 20 pages of notes for yeah, this. Bro, it's, it's... So I don't, you know, like, like you said, I don't like saying this because I don't like to flaunt it, but <laughs> I do this research and I I do feel that I know more than the average fan. I agree, and I would and I would say that I should, given that I do this show every week. But we go on um, camera and we talk, so we should probably I, do some research. Right. Sense. So I will say that I I do the research to know the things that I know and to say the things that I'm thinking. And what I am thinking is that no, Isaac Debo is not coming to Green Bay. This. It really shouldn't Ugh. even have to be said that Debo Samuel is not coming to Green Bay. Um, first of all, Debo Samuel is probably going to get traded to the AFC. And the place that I really think that he's going to is um, the Jets. Because the Jets were already in on Tyree Kill and they missed mm-hmm. out. So they were already comfortable paying the price that they would have had to pay. And 
there's Robert Sala there, who was in San Francisco. Granted, he was a defensive coach, but he's still familiar with him and the player. And yep. the Jets have the number thir- er, number 13, 10? I think they oh. have two top 10 picks, right? They have three, and they have like 10 or 13, I think. Yeah. I think it's 13 because um, maybe it's not 13. I don't know. The Jets, the Jets are somewhere in that 10 to 13 range, but... The Jets are already comfortable with paying that price for Debo Samuel. Mm-hmm. So I really think it's going to end up being the Jets that ends up getting him. But um, anyways, back to my number three is Jake's number two is Jaquan Brisker. Um, he's another fast guy. Um, he's good at reading the quarterback's eyes, actually, which is something that I noticed so that he can make the play on the ball. Um, mm-hmm. He's a very strong tackler, heavy hitter, like Jake said, not afraid to mix it up, and he can line up in multiple places, uh, whether it be the box or the slot, and he's got the speed to stay with guys. So I have Jaquan Brisker at number three for me. Josh is right in the comments. They have number four and number ten. Number four. They got, number, okay. they got number ten from Seattle. Um, my number three is your favorite player in this draft. One of your favorite players. One I'll of say. mine, yep. Uh, Jalen Petre. Um, he's fast. Uh, the the way that I explain all these players is I use the first two words that come to my head, right? That's what I put down. I put fast and instincts. He's a ins- mm. very instinctive player. Mm-hmm. Um, he had 75 total tackles, 50 solo, 61 quarterback rating when targeted. He had five sacks and two quarterback hits. That's a safety, bro. That's a safety. <laughs> That's a fucking safety, dude. This guy's six foot, 200. He runs a 4-3. He's great in coverage, obviously, the 61 quarterback rating, and... You can blitz him, you know, from that star position that we talked about in Green yeah. Bay last year. You oh, can line him up. So good for you. Oh yeah, he's he's a monster. You know everything that you said about him, I saw when I watched the film myself. So number four, I have Jalen Peter. Jalen Peter has been my guy since we first started looking at draft stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like Jake said, you can put him anywhere. He can play that hybrid position. And the guy that he that I've seen him compared to, and I compared him to, is John Johnson. Oh, okay. I knew you were going to like that because you wanted him when Joe Barry came over from the Rams. You were hoping that John Johnson would follow. I was, yeah. So Joe Barry loves his hybrid guys. He's talked about wanting guys that can do multiple things. Jalen Peter is that guy. You can put him anywhere. You can put him on the slot. You can put him deep. You can line him up as a linebacker if you want to. Mm -hmm. And he'll go and mix it up because he hits hard. He's got high IQ. He's versatile. And... You know he can, he can split him out to the slot. You can say line him up as a linebacker. Say the running back comes out of the backfield, and goes and lines up at a wide receiver spot. You slide mm-hmm. Jalen Peter right over and be comfortable that he's got the speed to keep up with the linebacker with the running back. Good. I want I want Jalen Peter in the second round so bad. Oh, dude! If we get Jalen Peter and Alec Pierce in the second round, like. That's it. I don't even care what happens for the rest of the day. <laughs> We're going to have to go live for round two to see Tyler's reaction. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? All right. My number four is my favorite safety. Um, it's Lewis Sin out of Georgia. This guy plays fast, and he's physical. Uh, once in a while, he could be a little reckless. I won't lie. He kind of reminds me of – he's like the Russell Westbrook, and I know that doesn't sit well with a lot of people right now, but he is just 100 miles per hour at all times. That's what I mean by that comparison. His instincts in the run game, probably the best of all the safeties, in my opinion. And he's pretty good at man-to-man. He's got good hands to rip the ball away from the tight ends. Um, he's good at punching the ball out. He can force a couple fumbles. 
But he's 6'1", 200 pounds. He ran a 4'340", and is a 37-and-a-half-inch vertical. And this guy, like I said, he does not I, – I really believe that he doesn't care about anybody's safety because he's just like, <laughs> I'm going to hit you, and you're going to deal with it. So when I was explaining to Tyler why he's my favorite, now when you're looking at the Packers and you're looking at the fit of these safeties, you understand that we have great guys in the boundaries, right, our great corners. So how much of an advantage is it to those corners – when they know that a guy does not want to come over the middle because Lewis is standing there like, come here, motherfucker, I'm about to smack you. And then you got Jair over there locking it up. Now you only have a third of the field left. What are you going to do? You're screwed. You are screwed you're now. Gonna, you're going to have to play between <laughs> the hash marks on the Packers. Yeah. With, with Jair and Stokes on the field at the same time. And then you got Mr. Pick 6 Douglas. Yeah. You're screwed. You are screwed after that. You're gonna have to play between the hash marks. There's no other way. And now, <sighs> right now, it's Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos in the back, and yeah. Andre Campbell still roaming around in the middle. Yeah, man. And when we go over linebackers, we, I got some yeah, good we shit. We haven't even got the linebackers yet. <laughs> I got some good shit, man. <laughs> All right. I actually have Lewis seen at my number five. So okay, just gonna keep following you. Um, the thing that makes him good against the run, like Jake said is that he's good at taking angles. He's good at identifying the right angle that it takes to go make a tackle. And when he gets mm-hmm. there, he's a good tackler. Mm-hmm. That's something that I always like to see because it felt like in not in 2021, but in 2020, we were talking about tons of missed tackles. It wasn't as bad in 2021, but I want to continue that trend and not go back to old habits of missing tackles all the time. So having guys anywhere that are good tacklers is always helpful. Uh, Lewis Seen definitely is that, and he hits hard. Um, like Jake said, he gets he gets a little too over aggressive at times. Um, mm-hmm. With that, he does seem to be a better fit for a zone defense than a man defense. I agree. He's great in open space at tackling. That is a very underrated skill, in my opinion. That's like, Jair that's is also great at that. In. Yeah, that's where yeah. those angles come in. I agree. Uh, my number five is actually Daxton Hill. Um, he is a freak athlete. I won't lie. Um, he, he does, he is a pretty good tackler despite his frame. Cause he's a small guy. Yep. He's a little compact. Um, he's six foot one ninety two. Tyler mentioned the 40 time four, three, eight. So this guy's flying down the field. Um, he had the best 20 yard and three cone time of all the safeties in this draft. The 20 yard split, he had a 4.06 and a three cone. He had a 6.57. That is blazing. By the way, if you go look at all the times he, this guy is just straight up fast. So if you're looking to add speed to the defense, Daxton Hill would be the guy. And he's very, very good in coverage too, just in case you wanted somebody that's good at coverage. I mean, it can never hurt. I mean, it seems like the Packers have struggled against tight ends, mm-hmm. um, whether it be Mark Andrews or George Kittle, for example. Um, it does seem like that's been kind of a thorn in the side of the Packers' defense in the past. Um, Devondre Campbell helps with that, but you don't want to always have to have him covering tight ends. You want him to be able to – to spy the quarterback or um, protect the middle of the field and keep yards after catches limited or limit the run game. Um, so you want to be able to have Devondre Campbell to be around and do whatever he does. So adding more speed and versatility is never a bad thing. I do want to say, Scott, I do think our secondary is going to be beast. I will say, off like I think this was a couple weeks ago, like off the top of my head, I wanted to say that maybe Denver might be the only team that has a better secondary than the Packers do. Um, Dude, that'd be a good guess. Um, top five, I think, is is possible. I think that should be the goal for the Packers is to be a top five defense. I do think they are a top ten defense already. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think top five is within the realm of possibility if they get one more 
um, player that can play on the edge, which we're going to do edge tomorrow. And we're mm-hmm. going to talk about linebackers after we're done with safeties. So I will give my number six safety is Kirby Joseph from Illinois. Not really a very known player because he played at Illinois. Um, yep. And that's where you go to score points. But um, as in scoring points on Illinois, not you want to go play for Illinois' offense because they didn't score as many points. But <laughs> um, he, he would be a good deep safety, Kirby Joseph. So if you wanted a guy that keeps everything in front, Limits teams, yards after catch. Kirby Joseph would be the guy for that. Um, he needs to trust his instincts a little more. It does seem like he's a little tentative to, to trust what he's thinking um, and just you know play a little more downhill. But he's a guy that's going to keep everything in front of him. So he'd be a good deep safety. So I'm looking at Kirby Joseph at number six. My number six is also Kirby Joseph out of Illinois. Um, in my opinion, he's more quick than fast. We explained that quickness is different than different. being fast. Yep. He ran yep. a 4-5, so it's not like he's slow. But he does use his quickness uh, to his advantage in a lot of ways. He is very good at closing on the ball on comeback routes. Um, and he had five interceptions last year for Illinois, actually. So he's a, he's a deep third guy. He's not the greatest run stopper in the entire world. But, you know, like Tyler said, if he just trusts his feet a little bit more, this is a guy that could – get drafted in the second or third round, and all of a sudden you're like, where the hell did this guy come out of? And you're like, Illinois, and you're like, wow. But coverage safety, I think he could be pretty damn good, in my opinion. So Scott pointed in the comments. He said he's overlooked, as is the Maryland safety. Um, I'm forgetting what his name is, so I'm looking it up right now. Uh, Nick Cross. We will get – spoiler alert, I'll get to Nick Cross in my rankings. I don't Um, have him in my top ten. All right. I do, so I'll, I'll talk about him. I guess Jake yeah, won't. Tyler will talk about him. <laughs> My number seven, I have Brian Cook. So okay. Brian Cook, 6'1", 206. He's a good combination of size and strength. Um, he used to play cornerback, so you can move him into the slot if you need to. He's a good tackler, and he changes direction really well. So, you know, if you're looking for a guy who could – I'm trying to think <clears> – <throat> Just trying to think of an example where changing direction for a safety would be really good. Um, reading the eyes of the quarterback. If a quarterback's trying to look a safety off to throw one way so that he can throw to another direction, having a guy that can identify that and be able to go and figure out where the quarterback is going to try to go with the ball and having mm-hmm. a guy that can close those gaps, that's important as a safety. Okay, okay. So my number seven is a guy at Oregon, Vernon McKinley the third. Um, he had six interceptions, 12 pass breakups, a 64.4 quarterback rating. He's a coverage safety, though. Straight up, he's just a, he's a deep third. You throw him back there and you say nothing over your head. He's 5'11", 194, 4'6", uh, speed. Uh, but he is very good at covering slot receivers and running backs. I didn't see him a lot against the tight ends because he's so small. But Vernon McKinley, is a, he's a good value player you know, for where he's going to be drafted. All right, so here's the guy that Scott was just talking about from Maryland. I have Nick Cross at number eight for me. <clears throat> so he's six feet, 212, so he's a little bit of a stockier guy, but he ran a 43440. So mm-hmm. he's fast in, his, in addition to being physical. <clears throat> so he's strong and fast. He's a good tackler. You don't want to know that your safety is a good tackler because you want the play to be over before it gets to that point, but it is good to know. Um, as long as your safety is not your leading tackler, like it happened for the Packers a lot in 2020, that Jair and Adrian Amos seem to be the leading tacklers more often than anybody else. Yeah. But 
you know, if wide receivers are making catches, you want to just you want to have guys that end that and not let a ton of yards after the catch. Um, so with Nick Cross, he's kind of the opposite of Verone McKinley. He's a guy you want used most in um, in close and medium depth, um, and just kind of use him to, like I said, stop yards after the catch. This is something that I'm looking for with Nick Cross. Okay. So I got a question for you. Do you think the safety from the Tennessee Titans, Kevin Byard, is a good player? Sure. He's a good player. He got paid. He got he oh. got the top safety money. He was the one that reset the safety market a couple years ago. Um, he went to Middle Tennessee State. My next safety is also from Middle Tennessee State, mm. and he is getting compared to Kevin Byard. His name is Reed Blankenship. He's great late round value in my opinion because this is a guy that's being overvalued. Yeah, or undervalued overlooked, in my opinion. Yeah, overlooked. So when you look at his career stats, he had 26 and a half tackles for loss as a safety, which is pretty good. He had nine interceptions and four fumble recoveries and three forced fumbles. He's 6'1", 204, 4540. He ran a 38-inch vertical. He had one interception. This was back in 2019. He caught it with one hand and ran it back 100 yards. That play was nasty. Go look that play up. Reed Blankenship on a Middle Tennessee State. Go All look right. that up. That was a sick I'll do play. that. All right, <clears throat> my number nine. Actually, I'm going to address this really quick. Um, our buddy Cody said Savage has to be more fix- physical. The Ravens game was the perfect example. He was there in coverage, but got over the top a lot because he wasn't physical enough with Andrews. That's what I'm saying. Like Mark Andrews is a guy that that handled the Packers defense. That's one thing that like, if the Packers can address it, whether it be linebacker or a safety that can play physical, can play above their size. That's something the Packers could address. The, like the defense is is this close to being complete. It just needs a couple more depth pieces, and that's what Jake and I are looking for with linebackers and safeties. Um, it's worth noting that both Savage and Amos could be free agents at the end of the year. That's um, why we did safeties. That's that's why that's another reason why we added safety. So Savage can have an option extended, mm-hmm. but Adrian Amos will be unrestricted and thirty mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. So my number nine, I have a guy Jake already mentioned. It's Verone McKinley. He's a little bit smaller, but he is a ball hawk. Mm-hmm. Put him at the back, and anytime somebody tries to throw deep on you, you, you let him go get it. So Jake already mentioned mm-hmm. he had the six interceptions last year. He's good at watching quarterbacks' eyes, so if a guy's going to try to look off safety and try to buy some time for a guy to get downfield, you put Verone McKinley back there, and he's going to be going to get the ball. Um, he is small, but he will hit. He's not Agreed. afraid to hit, and and he'll get in there and he'll hit and he'll mix it up. So he's not going to be afraid of anybody. And you put him down the field, and let him go make plays on the ball. All right, you want a guy to hit? I got a guy to hit. He's out of Auburn. His name is Quadarius Smoke mm-hmm. Monday. Smoke Monday is his name. He's going under his re- his real first name is Quadarius. Um, this guy is not a coverage safety. He is a straight-up box safety, but he is a freaking torpedo, and he's got good size. He is 6'3", 199 pounds. He ran 4'5". So if he can learn how to flip his hips and use his hands a little bit more, I think he can develop into a guy that can cover tight ends. But as of right now, he is literally a fifth linebacker on the field, and it's glorious to watch. That is a good highlight video to watch on YouTube if you're looking to watch somebody just absolutely bulldoze over people. Um, Cody, are you asking about Wanye Thomas? I didn't see him. 
um, particularly loved in a lot of rankings, and I don't have him in my top 10. My number 10 is JT Woods. Uh, okay. He's 6'2", 195 pounds, a 4'3", 6'40". So lightning speed. Um, he's got really long arms and a 39-inch vertical. And he's got the flexibility, the versatility to play in the box, to play the slot, or to cover deep. So I put him on here mainly because of his versatility combined with his size, speed, length, and vertical ability. Um, later in the draft, if you can grab a JT Woods, not only could he contribute as a backup safety, which is worth noting the Packers did not tender Henry Black. Mm-hmm. So that's just more safety depth that the Packers are losing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's replaceable, but that's just still just another position that needs to be addressed. I think a guy like JT Woods could be very helpful on special teams as a kick and punt return gunner. We have the same idea for number 10, by the way. Oh, all right. Look at us. But we have different people. I have Sterling Weatherford. Um, he needs to bulk up a little bit. He plays a little skinny right now. But he he's decent at reading quarterbacks' eyes. He could use to improve in that. I think being you know on this defense around that level of players that we have in our defensive backfield will only help him. But he could turn into a guy that is decent on coverage and a very good run stuffer. I put him strictly on here because he's 6'4", 230 with 4'5", speed. And I want that on my special teams. I'm not going to lie. All right. <laughs> I mean, like, like 6'2", 200 isn't bad. As, and then you add a 4'3", and a 39-inch vertical. Like, I'll take that on my special That's, team too. That is also very good. Also All right. Good. So, Jake's been more excited about this position group, like, literally since, like, five o'clock this morning when he woke up yeah Jake, dude. like dude there's so many linebackers i fell in love with actually he was texting me that yesterday already he's like dude there's so many linebackers i love i don't know and who to pick. <laughs> we're gonna flip the linebacker i'm gonna let you go first so you can go first oh. all these. Um, okay first of all, it's gonna first be of all. it's gonna be interesting i'm excited to talk about linebackers first of all excited jake is <laughs> the number one i have two number twos because i couldn't put one number three i'm just gonna be honest with you there's a tie okay. at number two all right. um my number one straight-up best linebacker in the nation is N'Kobe Dean. Oh. He is a monster. Dude, this guy can rush. He can defend the pass. He is the best coverage linebacker in this draft. Mm-hmm. It's not close, in my opinion. He has great acceleration, great closing speed, great read and reaction, read and reaction ability. He is that prototypical size for linebackers now. Linebackers are getting smaller. They're putting they're almost putting more safeties on the field at this point. He's six foot two twenty-five. He ran a four five forty. He's a sideline to sideline guy, and he has massive instincts. N'Kobe Dean is probably gonna be gone by our pick. I've been seeing him gone the pick before us, actually, going to the, the New England Patriots, but we'll see what happens. But he is very, very good. So the Eagles actually have two picks before the Packers pick. They're at like sixteen and nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, I could absolutely see the Eagles being interested in him. The Eagles need mm-hmm. a lot of work on defense. Yeah, they do. they need a lot of work in general. They're probably taking a wide receiver too. Probably. Yeah. All right. So my number one, I have a different number one than Jake does. I have Devin Lloyd number one. Okay. Um, he's 6'3", 237. He had a 9.58 RAS score. Um, his instincts and IQ are just off the charts. He has the speed to make plays from the weak side, so you can try to run away from him, and he will still come behind the line and make the play. Mm-hmm. Um, his overaggressiveness does take him out of plays sometimes, but he's you can use him in zone coverage because he's got the speed. 
But Devin Lloyd, with his ability and his speed and his IQ to be in the backfield, he will wreck things in opposing teams' run games. Yep. He is very good. He is actually my first number two, Devin Lloyd. Um, his pro comparison is ah, linebacker out of Pittsburgh. I'm blanking on his name. 55, Devin Bush. He is getting compared to Devin Bush. So if you like Devin Bush's game, speed and hard hitting, you're going to like Devin Lloyd. And, yeah, he, he has great gap responsibility. That's the first thing I noticed. He understands his gap, and he covers that gap. He had 110 tackles, 22 tackles for a loss, six pass breakups, a fumble recovery, four interceptions, and two touchdowns. He had Anything a 50... else? You've been reading for like 10 minutes, it feels like. He had a 55 <laughs> quarterback rating, dude. This guy is an absolute stud. His, his football IQ is off the charts. Yep. His first pick six he had, he actually jumped at the line of scrimmage and caught it at the mm-hmm. two-yard line. At the two-yard line. Yeah. That was disgusting. This Devin Lloyd is everything, and he will fall to our pick, I believe. So if we pick Devin Lloyd with pick 22, I would not be upset. That'd be, he'd be starting day one. He would, he's oh, a easily. Guy, um, I would say probably the first probably the first four linebackers on my list would start over Chris over Chris Barnes day one. Um, my number two, I have I have Jake's guy, N'Kobe Dean. Um, Jake mentioned that he's he's an intelligent player. Mm-hmm. He graduated high school with a four point three GPA. How does it? It doesn't even make sense. That's literally extra credit over a one hundred percent. He had a three five five GPA in college. Um, he graduated with two degrees. So his IQ, his instincts, serve him very well, especially in the running game. Mm-hmm. Um, he does help the pass rush. Um, he he plays bigger than he is actually, so he's listed at five eleven. He plays mm-hmm. bigger than he is, so that's something that'll definitely be an asset to a team. Like Jake said, linebackers are getting smaller, but um, he plays bigger than he is, and then he can do well in coverage. So Nicobe Dean, I would say, I would say Devin Lloyd is the better run stopping line of scrimmage type linebacker, but I would say Nicobe Dean is possibly more well rounded. I agree. Um, I'm going to respond to Scott here. Chanel is not getting drafted till the second round. These first four guys that I have could easily be first rounders. So with that being said, my second number two, AKA my number three is Brandon Smith out of linebacker, linebacker, U, Penn state. This guy is just oozing with potential. He hasn't put it all together yet. I, I feel about him that I feel about George Pickens. Once he gets put in the right situation, he's going to burst onto the scene. The player comparison that I made for him is Fred Warner. Mm. He l- covers so much space in the middle of the field. He he could be a Mike in a Tampa 2. He could cover that entire middle of that field. And he is not afraid to thump you. I I'm not, I almost went with Micah Parsons with this, but I was like, I don't know. I don't know if he could play outside as good as him. He's 6'3", 240, 4, 4'5". He was clocked. You know, he, His official 40 time was 4'5", but they said that he's been clocked at running 4'3". At 240 freaking pounds, dude. So, I'm just, I was, ta- I was doing my notes, right, the other day, and I was talking to my girlfriend. I was like, it's getting ridiculous, man. Everybody's 250 pounds. They all bench 7,000 pounds, and they all run 20 miles an hour. And then we're, th- we're thinking that this helmet that's this thick is going to protect them. It's getting ridiculous, man. I'm telling you. Holy crap. Brandon Smith is literally just oozing with potential. 
All right. So before I give my number three, I want to respond to Isaac's question here because I've been, I've been making a comment that I believe that is going to go with this. And the question is, do you think Passaccia dips his hands into the draft process and convinces Goody to draft special teams players? What I think is, this is just what I think, is the Packers do their thing in rounds one through five, and Gudikins takes the sixth rounder and winning two seventh rounders and hands them to Basaccia and says, pick who you want. Uh-huh. Whether it's Matt Areza, whether it's um, Isaiah Weston or any of the, those corners that we listed later in our lists of guys that could fall to the late rounds in the drafts to grab guys to be gunners. And basically let Passaccia pick who he wants to have on his special team. So I do think yes, but I do think it'll be later in the draft. Maybe those last three picks. I also think that he will allow him to do that because obviously special teams has been such an issue for us. I think we're taking at least two linemen with our last three picks. And they're all go- and they're going on special teams. And we are going to learn how to block. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. All right. My number three, I have Christian Harris, the number three. Um, 6'1". He's a big, good – he's a big linebacker. He's good in coverage. He can rush on the outside with his speed. Um, he had a 9.05 RAS score. Um, he's actually – this is what I noticed about him, is that he's um, really good at mirroring quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. So if he gets into space one-on-one with a quarterback, he's good at keeping the quarterback in front of him, not letting him get around him. Um and to me, that jumped out to me because that could be useful against potentially Justin Fields. Now, I do think Justin Fields is overrated. I don't, I don't think he's going to be you know the next Lamar Jackson or anything. But Justin Fields wants to run before he wants to throw. I agree. Justin Fields makes his first read and then he's ready to run. I agree. So having a linebacker that can quarterback spy that can keep the quarterback in front of him could potentially save the Packers some headaches in the future. He brought up Fields, and I forgot to say this about Smith. If you look up his YouTube video, his first big hit is on Fields in college. So I was like, he has familiarity hitting Fields already. (laughs) But my number four is Christian Harris, same person you just talked about. Um, He is a very good rusher up the middle. Um, Sometimes he gets a little lost in there because he doesn't use his hands as well. He's not a down lineman, so I don't expect him to. He could improve a little bit in pass coverage, but he's better than the next guy that I have on the list. And he is fast for how big he is, 230, 4'4 speed. He definitely has the ability to be a sideline-to-sideline guy, and I agree with you. He definitely has the feet to keep up with quarterbacks, but more importantly, I think he has the feet to keep up with running backs out of the backfield. You Mm -hmm. know, dual-threat guys, kind of like a Christian McCaffrey. I mean, that's tough for anybody, but yeah. That's just what I think of Christian Harris. Alvin he has good feet. For example, if the Packers were to face the Saints at any point. True. Good idea. <clears throat> All right. My number four, this is one of the guys that I really like out of the draft um, at the position, is Chad Muma. Okay. So he is 6'2", 239 pounds. He used to play safety, actually. So he's good at keeping plays in front of him because that's what his job was as a safety. Um, mm-hmm. He has a high IQ when it comes to diagnosing run plays. Mm-hmm. So Packers were a better run defense last year, but there's still room for improvement there. So having guys that can diagnose run plays at that middle linebacker spot would be really good for the Packers. I do think Muma is the last guy on my list that would be pretty much a guaranteed day one starter over Chris Barnes at that other middle linebacker position. Okay. Um, I do think probably my next three would be like training camp battle to find out who wins that starting job. Um, but Chad Muma, 
keeps plays in front, high IQ diagnosing the run, had a 9.78 RAS score. A lot of high RAS scores in this draft at linebacker. Um, dude, I got more. Linebackers stacked. I got inside more. Linebackers stacked, dude. Seriously. <laughs> this draft is lining up very well for the Packers' needs. Um, and then he needs – the only thing that he needs is he needs some work on shedding blocks. So may not help as much in the pass rush, but – um, as far as diagnosing run plays, Chad Muma would be a very big help for the Packers. All right, Scott, it's your time, baby. My number five is Leo Chanel. Uh, one of the websites that I used, they gave him a perfect score on pass rush and run stopping. And he got a really low score on, on pass coverage. Mm-hmm. If Leo got better at pass coverage, he would be a monster. I think that he needs to lose a little bit of weight because he is a little stiff. That's how they explained him in a lot of stuff is he's a little stiff when he moves with tight ends and stuff in the middle of the field. But as a straight-up A-gap blitzer and a run stuffer, it doesn't get better than Leo Chanel in this in this draft, seriously. <laughs> That's a beast. He is humongous, dude. He is put together like a tank. He's 6'2", 250. Listen to this. This is crazy. This is crazy, man. He is one of eight Badgers to bench 400 pounds. We have eight people on our team that have been 400, dude. How many dudes do we have on the Badgers that, that squat 600? I Seriously. I know Braylon Allen does it. Yeah, Braylon Allen was doing that in middle school. Dude, <laughs> he hit a top speed of 20.95 miles per hour at 250, bro. <laughs> yeah, I want that running into you at negative eight. Have fun with that, oh. Delvin Cook. Yikes. Oh my! Or Justin Fields? Oh my! He will get broken in half or if Leo Chanel gets hold of him. My gosh! DeAndre Swift has already made a glass too. He's only been in the league for three years. I feel bad for Swift in some situations, to be honest with you, because he's always getting hurt. He was ranked. They ranked uh, top running backs, the top ten running or running backs in the, in each conference. He was ranked above Aaron Jones, and I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna ignore this list now. Yeah. Yeah. And they had Ezekiel Elliott, and they had Elliott above him. They had Jones as the sixth best running back. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I was pissed. I was like, "Ain't no way in hell Zeke is better than Jones, bro." Zeke wasn't even the best running back on his team for half of last year. Mid dead ass. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. I'm annoyed, but we got to move on. Yeah, hey, keep it, keep her chugging, buddy. Keep her moving, uh, as they say in the state, huh? Yeah, keep her moving. Yep. Uh, number five, <laughs> I have a guy that Jake and I ended up talking about a lot today. It's Troy Anderson. I have Troy Anderson at number five. This is the most exciting thing. This is when it comes to linebackers, the most exciting thing. He had a perfect 10 RAS score. Yes, sir. A perfect 10. Yes, sir. That's insane. He's 6'4, 243. Oh my god, he's freaking nuts. He can play him in coverage. He ran a four four one forty. And then oh like that that RAS score was just nuts. He used to he actually played quarterback. I know dude Montana State for a while. I know he was running <laughs> He was running in fucking touchdowns, bro. He's fast as shit. He's a monster. I love that guy, dude. I he's, love him. And he's got a high IQ too. Because mm-hmm. he played quarterback. So he knows what quarterbacks are doing, what quarterbacks are thinking. He did play running back a little bit too, Steve. I did see a play where he took a handoff to the house from like 45 yards out. Dude, so, so you're a linebacker, right? So you seek out 
contact. Imagine that guy at running back. That's not fair. Come on. <laughs> and yes, yeah, Scott, the Packers do like their RIS guys. That's why I try to work them into my rankings when I can. Yeah. Perfect 10 for Troy Anderson. That's insane. Yeah. I, I told you today I couldn't decide between him and, and Lloyd is my favorite favorite linebacker, dude. I was like, oh, my God, I don't know who to pick. I love them both. Oh, dude, the linebackers in this draft are just amazing. My number six is Chad Muma, somebody that you like. Yep. Um, he's a very, very sure tackler. Um, you said he played safety. He actually in high school played cornerback. So this guy understands positioning on the football field. Yeah. Um, so he's very, very good in coverage. He's not the most athletic or physically gifted guy, but he mm-hmm. is very, very technically sound. He, his technique is almost picture perfect. Yeah, very, very smart. Um, 6'3", 240, he ran a 4'6". And I had this argument with a lot of people. It doesn't matter if you're faster than the next guy if you don't understand where to be on the said play. So I take football IQ more than I take physical. Do you want a perfect example of that? Scott, are you asking about Chad Muma? He went to Wyoming, I believe. Yes, he went to Wyoming. Um, You haven't heard of Anderson because he played at Montana State. Um, The perfect example of the speed and not IQ is Jalen Smith. Yep, that is exactly why I brought him up. He's so fast. He's physically gifted, but what the hell does it matter if you're running fast in the wrong spot? Wrong that's, area that's of the exactly, field. That's exactly the thing. If you're in a race and you're running away from the finish line, it doesn't matter if you're moving faster. Exactly. All right. Number six, I have Leo Chanel. So the only reason okay. I moved him, I have him down a little bit lower, is because of his lack in coverage. Now, the thing with this is you don't actually know if he could be good at coverage because the Badgers never used him in coverage. Because he was constantly in the backfield. Dude, seriously. He had, like, he had like eight tackles for loss every game, bro. <laughs> he was constantly in the backfield. Like every single play, I swear. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> this is back-to-back insane RAS scores. Troy Anderson had a perfect 10. Leo Chanel had a 9.99 RAS score. That's cr- Dude, he's so <laughs> strong, bro. He actually set the bench press. It would have been the highest bench press at the combine, but he only did it at the pro day in in, um, in Madison. He had 34 on the bench press. <clears throat> Has a high IQ for getting plays in the backfield. Like I said, he just didn't play much. Uh, just didn't play much coverage, so we don't know. So there's a big old question mark if you can use Leo Chanel in coverage. He's got the speed for it, and I do think he has the the IQ and the brains for it. It's just a matter of finding out if he can do it or not. Agreed. My number seven. Wow, we're on number seven. Oh, dude. Don't start talking about Chris Borland. I'm sad that he retired early. He was going to be a really, really good player yeah. in the NFL, man. Even though it was for the 49ers. But, dude, he was a monster. That was when the 49ers sucked, by the way. Yeah. Um, I have an Oklahoma linebacker. Uh, his name is Brian Asamoah II. Um, he's a little small. He's more of a tweener. Um, he actually weighs the same poundage as our quarterback, 222 pounds, 6'1", 222. He's almost the exact same size as Aaron Rodgers. But he's not a guy that I particularly want to put on the field on a first or a second and short. He's a guy I want to put on the field on a second and long, a third and long, because I feel like he's more of a coverage guy. He covers a lot, a lot of ground, more of a box safety Um 
But he's not really a guy that's going to come up and thump you either. He's more of a chaser, so he can catch you from behind. But, yeah, he's. I think he can turn into a very, very good player. And situ, situationally, he could be a guy that could be very valuable to a football team. All right. Number seven, I have Quay Walker. Um, he's the guy playing across from the Kobe Dean at Georgia. He's 6'3", 241. He had a 9.63 RAS score. Jeez, Crazy man. linebacker. Crazy linebackers in here. Um, so he's strong. He's fast. He's a good tackler. He's a little bit better against the run. Um, he has the speed for coverage, but just not the just doesn't quite have the IQ for coverage yet. So that's maybe something that the the linebacker whisperer Joe Barry could work with him on. Um, similar to Leo Chanel, he just you don't know how he's going to do in coverage, but he has the speed for it. I like that. Okay, my next one is actually a guy that played next to the Kobe Dean. Um, Channing Tyndall. Mm. Um, he was the backup. He was like the third string. Um, I think he was the better of the two, other two linebackers. Um, four four speed. He only has one season as a starter. Oh no, he was the starter. The other guy was the backup. Um, he only has one season as a starter, but he was highly, highly productive. He had fifty eight tackles, eight sacks, and seven quarterback hurries. And he was named to second team All SEC. He's the guy that can run sideline to sideline. Uh, there's a couple plays where he's actually getting there before Nakobe Dean. He's reading the play and getting there before Dean is. He just he closes on running backs very quickly. So I actually have Channing Tindall in my number eight. <laughs> um, <laughs> we switched our guys. <laughs> yep. So he's got a, a nine six seven RAS score. Okay. Um, he's great pass rusher. He's fast and athletic. A four four seven forty. 42-inch vertical, which is insane. Um, and then the only thing with him is that he doesn't have a great change of direction. So that mm-hmm. limits his versatility a little bit. That's why I have him a little bit lower at number eight. We literally switched our guys because my number nine is Quay Walker. All right. Um, he has great size and speed combo. He's 6'4", 240, ran a 4'4". Um, the only problem with him, I mean, he's a great tackler. He only missed three tackles the entire season. So he's a guy that when he gets his hands on you, you're going down. But he is horrible, and I mean horrible, in pass coverage. He had a 95.6 quarterback rating given up on him. That is bad. But if you bring him in, kind of like a Leo Chanel, I I have him lower on the list than Chanel, obviously, because I think Chanel has that ability to pass rush and stop the run, where Quay Walker is just a a sure tackler, and there's nothing wrong with that. He, if you have him as your second linebacker and you know he's going to make the tackle and you have him on special teams, you know he's going to make the tackle, that's great value to me. And that's That could work again, along with Devondre Campbell. You can, you can have Quay Walker closer to the line and have Devondre Campbell roaming in the middle taking tight ends or running backs or quarterbacks that are coming through. So that could work with the Packers. I agree. Um, and Scott, to your comment about I'd rather have a three-down linebacker versus a situational one. That all depends on what happens in the draft. So um, the Packers do have the benefit of having three very good linebackers. They have the all-pro Devondre Campbell, and then they have Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary on the outsides. Jake and I are going to talk about edge rushers tomorrow at the live show. But looking at strictly linebackers, looking at the guys that are coming in later, the Packers can draft a situational linebacker. They don't have to draft a day-one starter. Like I said, these top four or five guys – probably would start over Chris Barnes, and then these five, six, seven guys would compete with Chris Barnes for a starting job. But, like I said, we could use Chris Barnes on first and second down when it's an obvious rundown and then bring in 
bring in a a Trey and or Troy Anderson who can kind of do everything, who is faster, has the higher IQ, I would say, than Chris Barnes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Barnes has the experience, but you when you draft for depth before it's a need, you have that ability to mix things up and, and take familiarity away from the opposing offense. I'm going to answer that question before you give your next guy. you got to think about football. We already have our three-down linebacker. We just signed him to a five-year, $50 million extension. We already have one. Now in football, they're starting to spread you out horizontally, right? And then they spread you out vertically. So really, you only need one linebacker on the field. There are situations where you need two, obviously, and that's why we're naming some of these guys that could be thumpers. You know, a Quay Walker, yep. a Leo Chanel, those guys are thumpers. Those guys are your guys yep. on first and ten, on second and short, on third and short. Leo Chanel would be amazing on a third short. Imagine him coming up behind Kenny Clark. That is two strong mother effers. Just <laughs> plain and simple, right? But you really only need one three-down linebacker on your roster, and we have the one that was the best last year because he was first-team All-Pro. Yeah, and that's and like I said, the when you can use guys in different ways, um, it, it gives you the opportunity to mix things up. So you can – I mean, there will probably be plays where um, – Preston lines up at defensive end even. And you yeah. run, and you run Preston at defensive end and you bring in another linebacker and then you can bring in another defensive back. That's where a guy like Jalen Peter would be really awesome because he can slide up into that other middle linebacker spot if you need him to. Agreed. Um, so like, like Jake said, being in the 3-4, you don't have to have three down linebackers all the time. You can have one three down linebacker and – Basically, put that other linebacker spot as a star. Yeah. And you put whatever you want on the field in that position. Just maybe time and plays, situation. Maybe some, if it's a third and long, maybe it's Rasul Douglas that's the extra guy that's in there. It's going to more CBs and safeties. That's why linebackers are getting smaller and smaller because they're guys that aren't great in coverage. I mean, they can cover, but not deep, deep down the field. Mm-hmm. And they're closer to the line of scrimmage because they like tackling. That's basically what's happening. Yep. Trust me, Scott. Jake and I love Leo Chanel too. That's that's not going away from us. Yeah, hey. If we end up with Leo Chanel, I'm throwing a party with you, Scott. You can come over to my house. I'll buy the beers, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. My number nine, I have a guy Jake already mentioned. It's Brian Asamoah. Um, He's a great tackler. He doesn't do great when he's engaged on blocks, but um, he keeps his eyes on the ball at all times. Um, He is a little bit undersized, but he is a, a sound tackler. Um, and that's basically what you want in a linebacker. So I do have him at number nine. All right. I know this is going to sound weird. My 10th guy is is maybe my favorite guy is Troy Anderson. And I know that this sounds crazy, but I do take FCS into consideration. I know a lot of people don't. They kind of throw that out the window like, ah, whatever, you play college football. But jumping up two levels to me is something that I look like it's just going to be that much faster, right? It's going to be two levels instead of one. But this guy does everything. He has size. He has speed. And he is a straight-up athlete. Tyler mentioned that he played two other positions. You know, you ever heard of a linebacker that ran track in high school? Well, now you, ha- <laughs> now you have. 6'3", 240, 4'4", man. He's a f- dude, linebackers are running 4'4". Four 4'4s, four Four fours, dude. That used to be the, the, the bottom line for wide receivers, man. Yeah, the perfect 10, man. This guy is a straight-up athlete, and if I was drafting him, I'm betting 
purely on his physical tools. I mean, obviously he's going to have some sort of instincts and stuff, but, man, Troy Anderson, if we draft him in the third or fourth round, I'm throwing a fucking party. <laughs> it's my guy. Um, I have your other guy at my number 10. I have Brandon Smith at number 10. Okay. Um, his RAS score, 9.97. Almost two perfect highest. 10s. Almost three. Leo Chanel is a 9.99. True, true. And those are probably my three favorite. <laughs> That's There you go. There's Yeah, all right. I'm with that. So <clears throat> Brandon Smith is versatile. Is versatile. He's durable. He made 21 straight starts. Um and he's patient enough to diagnose the run, and he has the speed to drop back in coverage. So that versatility um, is what put him in my top ten versus some other guys who had similar patience in the run game. But um, Brandon Smith, being six foot two forty seven, still managing a nine point nine seven RAS score, um, and then the versatility is what got him into my top ten. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean. Uh... I I don't know what to say. Uh, we did wide receivers, and I'm like, man, I love this guy. I love this guy. I love this guy. I did tight ends. I'm like, love this guy. This guy's great upside. We did offensive linemen. I'm like, man, this guy's the pancake king, penning pancake king. I mean, this guy's great. This guy's great. Now we do linebackers and safeties, and I'm like, I texted Tyler today. I was like, man, being a GM is fucking tough. Like, plain we and simple. Even mock drafts yet. Last year we were doing the mock drafts, and we fell in love with Simi Fajoko. Just yeah, dude. Us. Then we started watching his highlights, and it's like, dude, he'd be actually kind of cool to have on the Packers. Right. What do you get drafted by the Cowboys? Right. Oh, dude, this is kind of going to piss me off because I fell in love with so many people at different spots. I know. Now they're well, guaranteed like, to go to shitty teams, man. Oh, my God. Dude, like, Alec <laughs> Pierce is going to get drafted by the Bears. I know it, and it's going to depress me. It's going to suck. <sighs> I know. Logan Wilson. Yep. And actually... Wyoming, uh, Chad Muma, I'm reading a, a draft nope. magazine. He's actually getting compared to Logan Wilson. That is the NFL comparison they had for him. And I like Logan Wilson. He's a good player. Good in coverage. He's a good tackler. Like He's a sideline-to-sideline guy. Logan Wilson is a good, good player. Scott, that is exactly what happens. The more we get into it, the more we want, um, especially for us being Packers fans. And what happens is, we watch, we read these sources, we read about what these guys are good and bad at, we know what the Packers are good and bad at, then we watch their highlights, and it's like, I want that on the Packers. Yeah, bro. Dude, there's, can we just, can can the Packers just carry like a 106-man roster this year? <laughs> For real, dude. <laughs> we'll just, we'll just take all of the draft picks. <laughs> Man, let me tell you, you know, growing up playing a lot of Madden, this is gonna sound ridiculous, but I have a, I have a good, we both have a good buddy named Jason Kusky. Um, shout out to, and congratulations to Jason. He's got his first ever own store, Verizon store, out in Phoenix, man. So the grind for him, he went to school and stuff. That is awesome. Much love, my man. But anyway, he has always been the smartest guy in the front group, right? Now I don't know. Tyler's a very, very smart guy. Tyler's underrated smart. But playing Madden with 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 Jason, he would trade, I shit you not, for like 20 first-round picks every year. And it's like, now I want that to happen in real life for the Packers. Let's just have the first 20 picks. We take everybody that we want. We're good to go. Our cap space will be amazing every year. For, for five years, and then we have to start all over again. Yeah, for real. Because <laughs> that's what he would do. He would just trade them all away. Yeah, and that in that five year span, you just draft guys with high potential. Yep, that's basically it. 
All right, so that's what we got for the Packers today is safeties and linebackers. Tomorrow is our live show with the Keel Parker Johns. We're going to do edge rushers, and then we're going to do a recap of all the positions we've discussed so far. So we'll just run through our lists of wide receivers, tight ends, offensive linemen, and then we'll rerun through our linebackers and safeties again. And then we're going to do mock drafts. So definitely going to have fun with that. Um, is there anything else you want to say about Packers linebackers and safeties targets? Tomorrow we start at 6.30, so keep that in mind. We're on at 6.30 tomorrow night. So 6.30, be in front of your computer, your phone, however you watch, and let's do or this. Or live in person. Yes, sir. Can, yeah. Hey, that's even too. better, too. That's even better. Come out to Keel Parker John's, buy some wings, man. Well, actually, Thursday is rib day. So if Thursday you like ribs and cornbread, yep. it's amazing. But when I go there, man, I only go for the wings. I get pizza sometimes. I like their pizza. I think their pizza is underrated. And I'm gonna be doing I'm gonna be doing scani fries because you okay. get you get fries, then you get nacho cheese, then you get mac and cheese, then <sighs> jalapenos, and I think they put you can get pulled pork on it too. And they have amazing Bloody Marys. We're gonna have a couple on display yeah. tomorrow, but yeah, they're gonna have some there. Bloody folks. Marys is like a you know a delicacy in this state. I feel like a good Bloody Mary. When you find a good Bloody Mary, that's just that's the holy grail for a lot of people. And they have a really good one. Uh, one of another one of our buddies, Alex Hartlove, actually works for Parker Johns, and he loves. Yeah, I mean, he, dude, he makes them, and he still loves them. That should just tell you how good they are. Because I've worked in the food industry myself. And, you know, you get sick and tired of seeing the same food every day. You're like, man, that's disgusting. I don't want to eat that for, like, 100 years. So if there's somebody that's made this for over 10 years and he still loves it, that should say something. Scott, talking about edge, there's I, – I feel like there's some hidden gems uh, bouncing around in here. Um, as far as edge is concerned, I will say I do think that because they have done this in the past and the way that the team is kind of set up is um, – I do think they're going to run a lot of two down lineman sets. I agree. Also, it's good that we're making you thirsty and hungry as long as it's for Parker Johns. And you tell them that Wisco Fanatics sent you. (laughs) Yeah, they are meals, dude. And this one is a meal. It's hefty. Yeah, it's it's the the Pitmaster Bloody Mary. It's it's hefty, buddy. (laughs) There's going to be a bunch of stuff on top. Yeah. I'm not even going to have to buy food, man. I'm just going to eat what's on there. Did we talk trade rumors? Well, no. we talked about Debo Samuel. He's not going to be on the Packers. I, if I had to bet money, I would put it on the Jets. I got a scenario for you. Not going to happen. But what if the Dolphins traded for him? You know, I saw somebody say that and be like, oh, what if we had Debo, Tyreek, and Waddle? Like, cool, you still have a quarterback that can only throw to one of them at a time and they have to be within five yards of the line. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> I watched their London game last year, and he could have literally ran for the first down. It was, I don't know, it was like a third and four, right? Instead, he throws the ball, and he was so, like, undecided on what he was going to do, he spiked the ball into the ground before <laughs> the first down line. I was like, oh, hell no, two got to go, bro. <laughs> yeah, no. I heard uh, Tom Brady rumors there next year. In Miami? Mm-hmm, because, he's, because they came out with that – he oh, said that yeah, yeah, yeah. Tampa didn't renew office. Well, Tampa didn't renew his his contract and then he's an unrestricted free agent next year, so people are saying that he might be a quarterback for them, not front office. I heard that too, but yeah. people are saying are speculating that maybe he's going to Miami to play for them next year. 
That'd be interesting. It would have been really interesting if they could have got Deshaun Watson, too, I think. <sighs> that would have been freaking filthy, bro. You Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, and Deshaun Watson. <laughs> Who'd they sign at running back? They signed a, a decent running back, Raheem too. Mostert. Yeah, One bro. One of the fastest players in the league. Bro. I really like him if he could stay healthy. Bro, put Deshaun Watson He played Watson for the 49ers for a long time, and he killed the Packers, but like as a player, I really like him. Yeah, he's a monster. He's a stud. Um, Scott mentioned Scary Terry from Washington. I don't think he's going to get traded. I love um, him, but he's not happening. If we were going to make a trade for any of these wide receivers that are out in the trade market or rumored to be in the trade market because they want to get paid, I want A.J. Brown. That's who you pick? That's who I want. My pick is Scary Terry, actually. That guy's a dog, straight up. Straight up number one, true number one, true X, true. You put him out there against anybody, he's going to dog them. Dude, he dogged Jair, and you know what we think about Jair. My I mean, baby is me, going crazy up there. <laughs> um, AJ Brown, his size, and with with him, I was interested to see how he was going to do without Corey Davis on the other side because Corey Davis played really well on the opposite of him in 2020, mm-hmm. and they brought in Julio Jones, who played like three games like he usually does, yeah. and AJ Brown was still nuts. Yeah, I agree. Um, James, me and you are the only one that won the Prime League, and I'm coming back for my title. You hear me? I'm coming back for it. All I right. was screwed by some injuries last year. Let's go to baseball, our third sport of the day, our last one of the day, and let's start. Um, actually, I didn't even put the Orioles on here, but real quick, running through the Orioles finale, the Brewers did win. Um, Corbin Burns is back. Yes, he got sir. back for that game. Um, eight strikeouts. Um, and only one walk in seven innings, no earned runs, working all of his pitches, working the two-seamer, his cutter, throwing nasty curveballs. Um, Corbin Burns is doing everything in that Brewers-Orioles finale. <laughs> he did that on purpose. That son I know he did that on purpose. That son of a bitch. <laughs> Just keep going. Keep trucking. <laughs> All right, Devin Williams struggled in this game. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Put it on the screen just for you. Whatever. Um, <laughs> Rowdy Telez missed a home run just by a couple inches. And then he ran through a stop sign and scored on a Mike Rosu single. Yeah, he did. Single. Ran through a stop sign, and he's just like, I'm Rowdy Telez. I'm a moving refrigerator. And just and he scored. And then um, Hunter Renfro. Showed off the defense. I still can't believe we got Hunter Renfro for Jackie Bradley Jr. straight up. Seriously. Like, Hunter Renfro hit 31 home runs last year. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Jackie Bradley Jr. had 31 hits last year. Yeah. That's a good Um, point, actually. That's – I'm going to look up his stats. Keep going. (laughs) Um. Hunter Renfro flashed the defense and made a good catch in the outfield and then threw a line drive throw to first base to get a double play. Um, Colton Wong hit a triple. Renfro scored on it. Rowdy one-hopped the wall, got his second double of the night, and the Brewers got the series win against Baltimore in that one. So did you have anything you wanted to say about Baltimore finale? Uh, The only thing I wanted to say, um, like you said, Burns is back. Telez had two RBIs in that game. Looks like he's starting to get his bat back. Uh, Wong is starting to get some hitting going. The bats are definitely coming alive. But, uh, no, it was just a, a game that they, they started, they're starting to look more like the Brewers, I feel like. I feel like the first couple of weeks was going to feel like spring training anyways. 
because they were going to get all the nicks and everything and all the bad juju out of there. And I feel like they, they're starting to come around. They played pretty well late, lately. I, I have some interesting things to go along <clears throat> with um, with some of the Brewers stuff as far as their offense is concerned. Um, Devin Williams. So I posted the, the Devin Williams sample size. So he had these two games where he struggled. Um, one that was during the Cardinal series. So he had two games back to back where he threw and gave up two runs in each, which along those two starts was one inning total and a 36 ERA because he had given up four runs in that one inning. Mm-hmm. Going back to the rest of his body of work, the sample size graph was like this like you could barely even see the sample size. Uh, Devin Williams, he pitched well today, he pitched a very little amount, but um. Yep. Overall, I don't think it's a trend so much as it was like a small slump. Every baseball player has slumps. And Agreed. this was one for Devin Williams. Um, Josh Hader gets into some some struggles sometimes where he gives up home runs because he throws hard, so the ball comes hard off the bat. Um, all, all around, I'm not worried about Devin Williams. Um, I wouldn't be mad if you wanted to put Brad Boxberger in the eighth inning because I do think that 7-8-9 of Boxberger, Williams, and Hader – um, are all guys that I trust. Um, Peralta, too, I'm not worried about him either, but we'll talk about this as we get into this Brewers and Cardinals series. Um, I do want to address Steve's comment because I literally just said this today that, <clears throat> and I'm going to add one more guy to this, um, Gutekunst, Stearns, and Horst, all in the front office of these teams of the Packers, Bucks, and the Brewers, putting these rosters together are all mm-hmm. all great. The other guy that I want to add to that is Russ Ball, the Packers salary wizard. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Are you ready to hear Jackie Bradley Jr.'s stats? I don't know. It's going to be gross, I think. <laughs> he had 63 hits in 428 oh. plate appearances. Oh. <laughs> Holy shit. Six of them were home runs. I didn't even realize he had a year where he had 26 home runs and 87 RBIs. He batted 283 the year before he came to the Brewers. Like, what the hell? He used to be able to hit. What the fuck is going on? Why? why didn't <laughs> I know. I was excited when we got him. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Me too. I was and really he excited. Got him like 190. 190. He bat 163. Ugh. That is fucking bad, dude. <laughs> My dad said this in the comments that the only reason that Terrell, uh, Rowdy Tellez isn't in Toronto is because they had Vlad Jr. at first base. Willie Adamas is the exact same thing. Tampa yeah. Bay had Wander Franco, who's like the the phenom of the minor league baseball system coming up at shortstop. So they were like, well, we have Willie Adamas and not not a spot for him because Wander Franco's coming up. So they sent him to the Brewers. So the Brewers, David Stearns is opportune on that, on finding those guys that have other guys coming up behind him. So... Willie Adamas is the same situation. One man's trash is another man's treasure, baby. Hey, there you go. Look at this roster coming together. Man, what a job, man. Seriously, man. Oh, my God. And, and Bobby Portis, before he came over to the Bucks, he was on the Bulls and the Knicks on bad teams. And he was on the Wizards for a year. He comes over, and he's just balling. Shooting man, 45% he's... on threes his first year. He's, he's a power forward. He's tough inside, gets rebounds, and he hits eight three-pointers in games. I mean, man, seriously, man, that was a great comment, Steve. Seriously. All right, let's wow. talk about the Brewers and Cardinals series. 
uh, kind of an up and down series, huh? As a, as yeah. a totality. Up in on the opinion. edges and down in the middle. Yeah. Um, first game, they won 5-1. to one. Woody pitched great. Five great innings. Gave up three hits. No earned runs. Um, Gott comes in. Gustave comes in. Yep. Um, they both pitched well. Uh, McCutcheon, Nevaez, Renfro, Wong, they all pick up RBIs in game one. So, game one on four one four day, by the way. Let's go, baby. Um, they had to get a win on that day, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. They had to. Talking baseball, it's a thing. Oh. Yikes. oh. That's bad. Dallas Keuchel, one inning, eight earned runs, ten hits. I'll do. Oh. Scott, Scott I do agree with you. We don't are, get us started. Don't spoiled. get us started, man. And you know what it does is it creates way too high and unrealistic expectations, and it also creates constant overreactions when bad things happen. Does yeah. not matter the sample size. Literally, the Brewers lost the first two games of the season, and people were already in fire Craig Council and trade Christian Yelich mode. Agreed. Two games, and well, people were in fire sale mode. I like to describe Wisconsin sports fans as being very pessimistic, in my opinion. Everything is the worst. This is the worst. Everything's the worst. They Trade suck. This guy's the worst. Everybody. Yeah. That's just uh, when we lose, I really stay off of social media. Sometimes I go on just, just to be like, you're an idiot. Why would you say that? Do you actu- did you actually type that on your phone and you thought that? Like, come on. Like, get it together. And if Chris Middleton, say, say the Bucks win and Chris Middleton has a bad game. No way in hell I'm going in a Bucks group tonight because it's going to be horrible. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I was thinking this, and I was going to make this comparison, and I said I was going to. Christian Yelich and Chris Middleton are in the exact same boat. Yep, they are. They have a bad game, and everybody says, this guy's not worth his contract because he had a bad game. Then he plays well, like Christian Yelich has actually so far this year. He's played pretty decent. Um, mm-hmm. He needs to get his batting average up a little bit. But... Um, I have some I have some other stuff about Christian Yelich that I do have some reason for optimism with him um, after we get through the rest of these um, recaps. But Middleton or Yelich have a good game, and then it's just, oh, they got lucky. So we got to give credit where it's due and, and have, our, have our criticism be constructive. I agree. So, like, Jake and I get mad when our teams lose, especially if they lose in a shitty way. It happens. But what Jake and I want to do is to try to encourage just flipping your perspective a little bit and flipping it over to the positive side. With Jake and I describe ourselves as cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. So it sucks that we lost Devontae Adams. We're cautiously optimistic to the fact that they could bring in three solid wide receivers and potentially have a better offense by having a more balanced offense as opposed to one guy. And we still kept all of the defensive core and Aaron Rodgers. I'm okay with that. Also, we gained draft capital and cap room. Good with me. Have fun in Las Vegas, Devontae. Allowed us the same weekend we re-signed Devontae Campbell and with Will Douglas. Agreed. Um, Steve, that's that's one of the exact things that I said last week. I don't know if you got to watch last week, but I compared the first two games of the season. If you break that down into what it means of a football game, it's like the first two and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. The the first two games of the season is 1.2% of the season. Yep. All right. So, <clears throat> Jake mentioned already Brandon Woodruff, the first game of the Cardinal series, really well. Uh, Colton Wong had a leadoff triple. Andrew McCutcheon got some more RBI. Um, 
Bob Uecker actually called Omar Narvaez's first home run. <laughs> so Bob Uecker's on, and he's like, Omar Narvaez looking for his first home run, and he's got it here. It's like, okay, yep, there you go. Good job, Uecker. Only um, Uke, bro. Legend. Dude, it was perfectly, perfectly called it. Um, Yelich missed a home run to center by, like, this much. Like, mm-hmm. it hit, like, just below the yellow that goes around the top of the wall. If you hit that to anywhere but straightaway center, it's a home run. Um, and then I want to give um, I want to give Omar Narvaez some more credit because in later in this game, he hit a ball that he dumped right into left field. So Omar Narvaez is a left-handed batter. And I want to give him credit for hitting a ball to the opposite field because that shift is still there. Um, so I wanted to give him credit for that. Um, the Brewers had base runners in each of the first six innings and had four hits with runners in scoring position in the opening game. All right. I have very little notes for the 10 to one loss. Cause this is one of those games where you just crumple it up and you throw it away. Yep. Me too. Um, I put that Peralta struggled. Yep. Um, the bullpen kind of struggled and Navarro's got an RBI. That's what I got. <laughs> um, so Freddie had, a, had an uncharacteristic bad start. Um, Burns and Woodruff both struggled in their first starts. Mm-hmm. It happens. Um, only six hits as a team. It was the Cardinals day, not the Brewers day. Yep. Um, the Brewers got the first two out. Um, Freddie got the first two batters out, and then nine of the next eleven reached. Ugh. Yeah. So that's rough. Um, yeah, that's that's rough. <clears throat> Um, only had one hit in the first seven innings. Okay. Yeah, that was a bad game. It just kept getting worse, too. <laughs> yeah, and then Suter got hurt. What he said was that it hit more of his forearm, and he actually pitched today. Um, he struggled a little bit, but um, he did want to stay in the game because Brent Suter's a warrior, but um, he came out of the game. He is okay, so I'm ready to move on to the third game of the series. Yeah, third game, two to one. Uh, this, I, you know, coming into the season, I expected a lot of these games because that's what we've been seeing. Uh, sucks that we lost this one though. Um, Hauser, he had five and a third. I thought he he pitched fine in my opinion. Um, got one and a third. Cousins pitched all right. He gave up. He gave up the second of the two runs, and Suter came in. But uh, Carantini tried to. Get us started. He had a homer in the eighth uh, to get us on the board, but obviously wasn't enough. That's all I got. All right. So what I want to say about Hauser is that he looked really good. His sinker was working really well. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked out of a lot of base runners. Um, gave up only four hits. He did have four strikeouts, did have three walks. So that's something I'd like to see the Brewers do is get the walks down a little bit. Um, <clears throat> Brewers in this game, five hits and ten strikeouts. You got to at least try to put the ball in play. Yeah, that's. Um, I will say Trevor Gott has been a pretty revel- a pretty good revelation so far. Beginning of this year, he's pitching very well for the Brewers. Um, and then the only other takeaway I had from this game is that I'm still salty that the Cardinals were even able to get Nolan Arenado. The Rockies yeah. went through like a two year stretch where they did like literally the dumbest shit you could think of with their players. They got, like, three prospects nobody had ever heard of for Nolan Arenado, a gold-glove third baseman who mashes. Yeah. Literally the year after, the Cardinals just got Paul Goldschmidt from the Diamondbacks for a handful of peanuts and three baseballs for a dude who plays good first base and mashes. Yeah. 
That's the Cardinals how you are good at it. developing players, and then people are just giving them their best players on top of it. Like, <clears throat> like I respect the Cardinals, but I don't like them. Do you see this name? <laughs> Cupcake that, Menace ninety two. That is Aiden's YouTube name. <laughs> that is the mind of a nine year old right there. Cupcake right. Menace. Yeah. Uh, He's like, I'm gonna be Cupcake Menace. Away. I'm like, I don't know what any of that is, but all right, man. So that's my stepson. Like, if you put him. a plate of cupcakes around him, does he just eat all of them? Just I don't like know. wrapper and all. Like, he doesn't even take the wrapper off. You know, to, to be honest, off. I've never seen him around a cupcake, and there might be a reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like shit. Like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, except it's Aiden, and then Cupcake Menace comes out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I real laughed on camera. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit alright anyways oh, composure oh, alright so ne- <laughs> 417 here we go 65 <laughs> oh shit I can't look at you right now Ashby came out He pit- I thought he pitched alright only 4 innings though um, we used a lot of pitchers this day uh... <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't reason I had to <laughs> we had Ashby Cousins <laughs> Gustave, um, Boxberger, Williams got, and Hader all got in this game. Um, didn't give up that many hits. Obviously gave up five runs. Um, but RBIs in this game, I felt like this, this is the game where I feel like the bats kind of took a turn, in my opinion. Um, McCutcheon, Telez, Hira, Adamas, and Taylor all picked up RBIs. Taylor had two of them. Taylor smashed a double today, and he looked really mm-hmm. good. I really yep. like Tyrone Taylor, man. He's a good player. Dude. I said this a couple weeks ago. I told you this. I'm already like pre-excited for the Brewers 2024 outfield because Yelich will still be around. You have Tyrone Taylor, and then you got Sal Frelick, um, Garrett Mitchell, and Jody Weimer coming up in the minors. Mm-hmm. Like the Brewers outfield is going to be insane for like the next ten years. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, that's. That's what I got. I gotta. All right. I gotta. I gotta tell Aiden you can't comment with that name real quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is Ashby's third appearance. He did have two relief appearances. Um, he did get out of a base loaded jam with only one out and gave up no runs. Um, I'm glad Albert Pujols is retiring because he erased the Brewers three nothing lead with one swing. He did. He looked like prime Pujols too. And he looks the same. Like he does not age because he's. Probably been 45 since he was drafted, but <laughs> I am 12. <laughs> kidding me? This is Green Crayon. <laughs> oh, that's such a great movie. So underrated, bro. So underrated. Was a ten dollar bill and he's got documentation. <laughs> he just crumples the whole thing and got documentation. <laughs> uh, so this is the other one where Devin Williams struggled a little bit. Josh Hader picked him up, and this actually Josh Hader got saved number 100. This was the game. Mm-hmm. Um, Brewers earned a series split here, and Steve, to answer your question, how much leash does Hira get? Um, he did hit a three-run home run today, so he got that going for him. Um, mm-hmm. I want to put it out there. I got some stuff about Yelich today. I will, I will look into Keston Hira, and I'll see, I'll see some of the other stats that that have that have weight with Keston Hira, and you know, and see if see if I fa- sealed. See if I feel the same way about Keston Hira as I do about Christian Yelich as far as optimism is concerned. But um, he is still young, and as far as his positioning go, 
he's he's played like four different positions in the last two years. Yeah. So that's you know that's that's hard too. In addition to the stuff that he had going on in his personal life, so um, I'm willing to give him a, a little bit of a leash. So moving on to the Pirates series, um, get your brooms out. The Brewers swept this one. Game one. All time. Um, the Brewers had two on, nobody out, twice in one inning, and they struck out three straight times. Ay ay ay. That's that bad. was that's rough. Yeah. Eric Lauer, however, on the other side, I got some good stuff on Eric Lauer. Absolutely dealing six innings pitch, only one earned run, one walk, and five strikeouts, eighty-seven pitches. So, <clears throat> since two thousand nineteen, Eric Lauer has raised his average fastball velocity by three miles an hour. He hit ninety-six miles an hour. On his fastball. Last year, his average velocity was around 93. This year, it's up over 94. Um, for a dude that throws some low 80s off-speed stuff. That's our wow. fifth starter. That's a, That was a nice stat. I, I like got that. another one. All right. What you got? What you got? Since June 27th last year, pitchers with five innings or more, one earned run or less. Corbin Burns and Julio Urias are tied for first with 11. Eric Lauer is tied for third with 10. Jesus, bro. That is our fifth starter. I keep telling people, man. I keep telling people you can't let this pitching go to waste, man. The Brewers had the best rotation in baseball. I'm not even afraid to say it anymore. I'm not even going to say it's a maybe because it's the best rotation in baseball. You can go six deep, bro. You can go, dude. Ethan Small is dealing in the minors, too. He's going to be in Milwaukee soon. I know. He's a stud, bro. Just waiting. Oh. Can you imagine the Brewers go seven deep with nuts starters? Oh. <laughs> Jesus. Um, John El Gustave, Hobie Milner, and Jose Urena, one inning scoreless each. Um, bottom of the fourth, Christian Yelich smoked a grand slam, just absolutely launched it. He destroyed um, that. He was he two for like... three with a walk and four RBI. It looked like vintage Yelich. He, it he did. smacked that ball. I love the sound that the bat made when he hit that ball. Yeah, well, I had the same feeling with Hero today. With this three-run homer, that fucking yeah. was loud, dude. All right, I have more Eric Lauer for you. So, oh, give me all the Eric Lauer, baby. He has increased his velocity from last year to this year on four of the five pitches that he throws. And his slider is the only one that he didn't, and it stayed the same. So his curveball, his, his changeup, his four-seamer, and his cutter have all increased velocity. Wow. You want to know something really disgusting? He's increased horizontal movement on most of his pitches. His changeup going from 14.1 inches of horizontal movement to 16.5. So he added two inches of horizontal movement on his changeup. His cutter went from 1.4 inches to 4. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so so he's not only increasing his velocity, he's also increasing the movement on his pitches. And yes, wow. Steve, I would say he's doing that in the lab like Corbin Burns. It seemed wow. like the Brewers pitchers all collectively spent spring training just learning each other's pitches. Like Corbin wow. Burns yesterday was <clears throat> was throwing changeups. Throwing changeups. Wow. And striking people out with it. 
Corbin Burns in game two is dealing six up, six down to start the game and was striking people out with every pitch that he throws. Yeah, he dominated them. <laughs> straight up, um, just straight up dominated. Yeah, Scott, I did mention that. his his He did hit 96 yesterday, but um, what did you see from game two of the Cardinals Pirates series yesterday? Well, I got to say, it's <laughs> nice to only have to use three pitchers. Think always about that. Nice. Always nice. The Cy Young, you bring in Devin Williams, who has won reliever of the year, yep. rookie of the year. And then yep. you got, and I pro- I proposed this question to a couple people I work with, but where would you rank Josh Hader as best closers in baseball? Because he's got to be somewhere in that top five, in my opinion. I'd, I'd say he's probably top three. Top three? Well, you come in with the best starting pitcher, one of the best you know, setup men in the MLB, and then maybe the best closer in the MLB. Think about that. And you give him five runs, and you feel absolutely nothing but comfort. <laughs> That is insane. Uh, Telez hit a homer in this game. Wong picked up two RBIs. And Hunter Renfro finally went yard. For Bro, the, the one that he hit, I'm, this, I'm not even exaggerating you. So I'm watching the game. Courtney's mm-hmm. sitting next to me, and she's talking to me, and I'm listening while we're watching the game. And he hits the ball, and I'm just like, holy shit. He yeah. smacked that ball. He destroyed that. Hunter Renfro, baby, he's starting to come around. You know, it's. I feel like it's going to happen. It's going to be like a snowball effect. One guy's going to get going, two guys going to get going, and everything's just going to kind of collectively get itself together. We're going to be in the dog days of summer, and people are going to be talking about the Brewers, you know, competing for a World Series. That's really what I think is going to yeah. happen. So I want to address two comments. One, Scott, Corbin Burns has found his cutter his last two games. Yes, definitely. And Steve, remembering Ben Sheets? Yes, I do, because he was one of my dad's favorite players. Who doesn't remember Ben Sheets, bro? He, he pitched for USA team. I think I heard that about 15,000 times as a kid. <laughs> Every Brewers game, because the Brewers were not very good. Ben Sheets pitched for the USA team, and he, he had a nasty 12-6 curveball. Hey, I remember I that. I mean, it was it was worth noting that Michael Red played on the USA team in 2008. I was just going to make that comparison that Ben Sheets was like the Brewers' Michael Red. Cause the Brewer, it really the Bucks, was, like... If there's one person you want to go watch, it's Michael Red slash Ben yep. Sheets. And yeah, he'd strike exactly. out 15 people one game, and Ben and and Michael Red would drop 50 once, and we were like, Michael Red. Yeah, dude, I still have the jersey. I still rock that motherfucker, dude. <laughs> All right, so Burns went seven innings. Craig Council actually talked about it on the radio in the pregame that when Corbin Burns is pitching, he can start thinking about the next day. That's, that's how that's how confident and comfortable he is with Corbin Burns. And then you have Brandon Woodruff. So he feels he can actually look two days into the future because he knows what he's getting with Burns and Woodruff. That's that's insane. Um, I'll say we have three Ben Sheets, and we have two guys that get a lot of soft contact and get a lot of ground outs. Um, how could you like not like Ma- Michael Red? Who do you, exactly, who didn't like Michael Red, bro? He shot like this. Bulls fans probably didn't like Michael Red. They probably thought Ben Gordon was better. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so the Brewers put together a four-run second inning. Rowdy hit a two-run home run. Um, and then Lorenzo Cain reached on an error. Victor Caratini drew a walk. And the Brewers um, scored on Corton, Colton Wong's two-run double, all with two outs. Mm-hmm. So a two-out rally got going. Um like Jake said, Renfro hit his first home run as a Brewer. Absolute no-doubter. Um, and I want to say, 
Willie Adamas has been struggling at the plate a little bit, but he's still playing very good defense. Very good defense. Agreed. And speaking of good defense, Colton Wong was doing his Derek Jeter impression in the ninth inning of this game. And the Brewers went through this game. All 27 outs were either all ground balls or strikeouts. No fly ball outs in this game. That is impressive. That is impressive, if I say so myself. I mean, there were two fly balls, but they went over the fence. Damn. (laughs) All right. Let's let's talk about today's game because Scott's in the comments asking about Woody, too. Um, Let's talk about today because Brandon Woodruff was masterful today. Yeah, he he looked like his prime self. Uh, Boxberger pitched well today. Suter was the only one that struggled. Uh, Mm -hmm. We had a comfortable 4-0 lead. He gave up two runs. But Williams came in and shut the door on that. And Hader really closed it up like he always does. And when Hader comes in, I expect him to get three outs. It's just what it is. Every once in a while, you know, he does give up a home run, like you said, because it's the high velocity. All you got to do is put bat the ball and keep it within the foul pole, and it's probably going to get hit pretty hard. Um, But... Man, Keston here, he fucking connected on one, man. And when he hits home runs, they talk about it, you know, the first couple of weeks where his his power is really right center. Mm-hmm. He's not really a pole guy. So when he gets one and he hits one good and it goes to right center, he got the whole damn thing. And he got every bit of that. They started that inning out with a double, a double, and then a home run. And I was like, oh, shit, they might go crazy real quick, Another man. double. Yeah. <laughs> we only had a double after that, too. Yeah, and he smoked it, man. I mean – I thought we were about to go crazy for a little. I was like, man, we might put up like a seven spot in this inning for some, like, mess around, man. All right. So, for me, I'm looking at Woodruff today. Six innings pitched, nine strikeouts. He's now up to 11 consecutive scoreless innings. He actually had a stretch in this game where he had 12 consecutive batters with a first pitch strike. That is domination. And... And he had a barehanded play, too. That was yeah. – put it up on the Wisco Fanatics page. Go check it out. Brandon yeah. Woodruff had an early contender for next week's Wisco Fanatics play of the week with a barehanded yeah. stop and a throw to first. Um, Suter did give up a pair. Um, Rowdy Telez is still hot. Had another home run today. Um, Kesson Hira's bat, his home run, left the bat at 109 miles an hour. That's moving. <laughs> um. And then Willie Adamas made a great play behind the third baseman. Um, it's kind of a pop fly on a pitch that Ben Gamble took off running. Willie Adamas went and made the play and threw back to first for the double play. Um, that's a long throw Yeah. to make on a snap while, while you're trying to get a runner. So, like I said, Willie Adamas, not the greatest at the plate right now, but he's playing very, very good defense. Um, Brewers now on a four-game win streak. They are... Um, off tomorrow, and this is really annoying. So they go play three games in Philadelphia. They come back to Wisconsin for one game on Monday against the Giants. Then they go back to Pennsylvania to play three games against Pittsburgh. It's so annoying that they go from Pennsylvania back to Wisconsin for one day and then back to Pennsylvania. Like Major League Baseball, you really couldn't put that game on any other day. Yeah. Put it a double header somewhere? Like, really? Really? Mm-hmm. That's whatever. Uh, looking at the Brewers starters, the last 19 innings have only given up three hits. Damn. I will take that. Yeah, me too. That's pretty damn good. 
All right. So I have two things that I want to talk about. One is the Brewers' offense, and one is Christian Yelich. Which one do you want to hear first? I have interesting statistics for both of them. I say do Yelich and then the Brewers' offense because Yelich could be the engine to make the offense go. That's fair. All right, so I have some statistics that we have not discussed on the show before, statistics we haven't used before on the show. So this is going to be interesting. I think it's interesting because baseball is a statistical sport like no other. So I'm looking at Yelich, and the reason that I have some optimism for him is he's making solid contact on 8.3% of his um, at-bats. It's, it's solid. It's it's near the upper middle part of the top half. Mm-hmm. He's drawing walks 17% of his at-bats. He has a 362 on base percentage. Okay. Is the number six highest average exit velocity in baseball at 94.2 miles an hour. So he's hitting the ball hard. Mm-hmm. Now, translating over, he's number 12 in Major League Baseball on barrel percentage at 20.8. So the, the balls that he's making contact with, 20.8% of the time he's hitting with a barrel to bat. I would think that's good. Yep. So <clears throat> he's also, this is this is the one that I'm actually very happy with him. He's the number seven lowest out-of-zone swing percentage. Okay. 12.4%. So what this is telling me is that he's seeing the ball a lot better and he's not chasing pitches. Yeah. So that, to me, is already a signal that Christian, Christian Yelich is taking a step in the right direction. Now, the other thing is that he strikes out a lot, which is true and it's unfortunate. But he's got a. This is before today's game. He has a twenty percent zone swing and miss percentage. So pitches inside the zone, he's swinging and missing at twenty percent of them. Um, it's in the same. It's in the same area as uh, Miguel Cabrera actually has the same uh, zone swing and miss percentage, and Bryce Harper's is only point three percent lower. Mm. So all these things combined um, with him seeing the ball better, not swinging at bad pitches as much. Um, has a higher average exit velocity. He's getting the ball, um, hitting the ball on the barrel more often. I do see some uh, some cause for optimism early in the season. Now, I am a guy who says not to overuse small sample sizes, so I will take this all with a grain of salt because we are only two weeks into the season. Mm-hmm. So I will take my own advice and realize that this is a small sample size, but the very, very early returns on 2022 – do look promising as far as so far this season. Okay. I like it. I like it. Now, if he could stack on that, if he right. could take his hard hit ability and start and slow down on the swing and misses, he's going to start putting some shit together, man. And he's had a bunch of hits where he's like hit some rockets that just get caught. And yeah. he's had like at least, I think, three doubles off the wall like this close from being home runs. He'll be all right, I think. So I'm I'm okay, and I'll I'll do this same, um, I'll do this same analysis with Keston Hira and see see what the outlook is for him so far. Now, I've seen this comment only like six hundred thousand times in the last year and a half. Is how do the Brewers fix their offense? And aside from just saying 
play better or hit the ball more or play small ball instead of hitting for home runs and power. I, I went and I looked and I wanted to have an actual answer for people when they constantly ask this question. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> what I, what I've come up with is based on two statistics really. Now, one of them is the Brewers are very low in something and they're very high in something else. And it leads me to my conclusion. So the Brewers are 24th in Major League Baseball, 30 teams, 24th of 30 at zone swing percentage. They only swing at 64.9% of pitches inside the strike zone. Okay. So they're 24th in zone swing percentages, obviously before today. The Brewers are second in Major League Baseball in chase percentage. This is second Mm. lowest. Oh, okay, okay. So... The Brewers are second only to the Dodgers in chase percentage. Okay. So basically the Brewers just aren't swinging the bats enough is what it boils down to in my mind. So they're towards the bottom of the league in zone swing percentages. And they're towards the top of the lead in not swinging at pitches outside of the zone. So this is my, <clears throat> my thought of how to fix the offense is trust your eyes earlier in the count. Don't defend the zone. Attack the pitches inside the zone. That's that's my solution to fixing the offense is continue doing what you're good at. Just be more aggressive with it. You're good at not swinging at pitches outside the zone, but you're also not swinging often enough at pitches inside the zone. Mm-hmm. So the, the low chase percentage signals to me that they're good at identifying which pitches not to swing at. Which, you know, by by logic, you would say that they are equally as good at judging pitches that they should swing at. They're just not swinging at them as much. 24th in the league at zone swing percentage. Up that zone swing percentage number, and I think that's where you might see some more offensive production come from. Okay. Steve, I would say that it's possible that the team is still feeling things out due to a short spring training if this wasn't the same issue they had last season, which was generating offense. <clears throat> so I could look at 2021 and see if they had the same, um, you know, pitch identification, but different players is going to change that. Um, having Jackie Bradley Jr. in there is going to change that. Um, having Avi Garcia in there is going to change that. Having Daniel Vogel back in there, Manny Pena in there, um, Luis Urias, who hasn't been back with the team yet in there. Um, I think he's going to help the offense when he gets back. He was our second best power hitter last year. So um, I think Luis Urias is going to be back. But really my thing, it boils down to swinging earlier in counts. The Brewers can identify which pitches are good and bad. Swing at the good ones more often. I agree with that. That's what I got. I like it. I like it. (coughs) So... (laughs) I wanted to check the score of the Nets and Celtics game, bro. And I checked it. Listen to this. It's kind of funny. Bruce Brown started the game on a 9-0 run. How? <laughs> I don't know, what? bro. Yes, Why? dude. I'm serious. I How? don't know. Why? <laughs> 9-0 run by Bruce Brown to start the game. And it's 11-2 right now because I was, I was interested in how that game was going. Bruce Brown. Why? <laughs> I don't know, bro. Why are the Nets even using him on offense? Bro, he actually has improved. He's actually a decent shooter now, to be honest with you. A 9-0 run. 
Yeah, by Bruce Brown to start the game. <laughs> Basketball's weird. It is. All right, so the Bucks have basketball tonight, and then yep. we want it, we're going to say it again. We're going to plug it again tomorrow. Parker Johnson, Keel, six thirty. We're going to break down our edge linebackers and defensive ends. Um, <clears throat> also, want to look up Travis Jones. I was asked, I was requested to look up Travis Jones, the defensive lineman, okay. um, and and come hang out with us. We're going to recap our positions, and we're going to do live mock drafts. Um, my wife Courtney actually has made a bunch of. Made a bunch of stickers, decals, whatever. Uh, she gets mad at me when I call them stickers when they're actually decals. Um, and then she's made a bunch of keychains. So we have stickers and keychains that you can buy if you want to come and see us and, and support our show and have some fun and get some good food um, and talk about the Packers because that's what we're doing tomorrow. Hell yeah, man. I am really, really looking forward to kicking this thing off tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. Our yeah. Our draft... Like I, like we said, draft prep is one of our favorite parts of the year, um, and we put a lot of work into it. And then we get yeah. to go and now we get to share that in Keel, where we grew up and and became friends. Steve, I don't know if scratch and sniff is a thing. I would have to ask if she can get scratch and sniff vinyl. But <laughs> if I do, if that's a, if that's a thing, I'll find what do you out. want it? What do you want it to smell like? I don't know if that's a question we want to have answered on live. I do. I do <laughs> want it to be answered on live. I do. Uh, Steve, there might be kids watching. <laughs> well, there's, at least Cupcake Menace is probably still watching. No, I hear him upstairs. He's playing <laughs> He's playing his game now. Uh, he just likes to pop in and annoy me. Menace. He texts me and says, how do you know it's me? I don't know. I just helped you. Baseball glove leather. You know, I think she made. I think she made Brewers color ones. Yeah, she did. So, I mean, hey, Steve, if you want, if you want to buy one, we can send them to you. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna say five bucks for keychains, five bucks for stickers, and if you want to buy both, we'll do two for eight bucks. So, if you want to come and see us, and you want to get some in person, we can do that. Otherwise, but yeah, like I said, I mean, we do have Brewers ones. So if you find a Find a leather-scented cologne somewhere. You can spray it with that if you want. <laughs> Make hey, your own scratch and sniff. Scott, just so you know, man, there's on-camera Jake, and then there's off-camera Jake. So, man, <laughs> it's two different animals. <laughs> All right, man. Have you got anything else? Nah, man. I'm excited to watch some basketball and just chill out with the fam. All right. I will see you tomorrow. I will see you tomorrow. That's crazy. You will crazy. see you in person. In person, man. In the wow. flesh. Yes, sir. And then uh, before we get off, just uh, another little plug real quick. We're going live twice next week as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to go on Wednesday. We're going to go live for the first round, and then we're cooking up a really, really good idea for a bonus episode next month, man. Yeah, that'll Uh, be fun. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, man. So please stay tuned. Invite your friends. Uh, Love all the comments. Steve, Scott, get get some more of your boys in here, and uh, we'll really get this thing rocking. All right, sounds good. I will see you tomorrow. All right, later, buddy. Bucks and six. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.